Broadcasting from another dimension, deep within the Ghost Shrimp National Forest, in a log cabin built by the Ghost Scouts, sending you secrets from the future directly into your motherfucking mind. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It is episode 42 of the Go Shrimp and Friends podcast. Um, we, got a, we got a really fun episode today. Uh, the much-anticipated Oz Bros podcast um the uh the Osborne brothers uh Kent Osborne the elder and Mark Osborne the younger very accomplished uh professionals in the field of animation and and movies and Hollywood in general uh you've heard them both on this podcast before and even quite recently they've both been on um obviously Kent is my new neighbor um so he's been around quite a bit we are new best friends, <laughs> and uh, Mark has uh, has been coming to visit and hang out. Um, I got to meet their dad this trip, which was really fun. And uh, yeah, we all we 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 got the boys together on the same podcast in real life, which was really fun. Sat around up in the cabin and chewed that old podcast beef jerky uh, up in the cabin on a rainy day yesterday and just had a lot of fun. Um, got, got, the, got them to talk about their, their when they first arrived in Hollywood, um, how they first got started and some of their early jobs and some funny, funny Hollywood stories, some celebrity stories, um, which is exactly what I was hoping for. They have so, so, so many um, when we sit around in Ghost Scout training camp, Kent will regale us uh, with all these debaucherous Hollywood stories, and he, we dipped our toe in here. We got it. We 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 got we got into it. There's there's still there. This we're still in the shallow end of the pool, but it's still juicy. It's still good. But there is a deep end of this pool that's very dark. Uh, we'll see if we can ever get Kent to to tell spill the beans on all the juicy stories he has. Um, but, uh, I love the Hollywood, those just weird, dark Hollywood stories. It's very David Lynch to me. Um, so it's super, super fun. And, uh, of course, uh, Mark is the director of Kung Fu Panda and the Little Prince, as well as other stuff. And, uh, Kent Osborne is the, he was the head writer for Adventure Time and he worked on SpongeBob and all kinds of other shit. They both have had very long and illustrious Hollywood careers and, uh, they're just getting going. You know what I'm saying? It's fucking loud ass motor vehicle on the road down there. Um, and, uh, let's see what else, um, I got a little list here. We got, uh, oh, of course we've been, uh, hopefully everybody's been enjoying my, uh, promotional videos for the workshop on Instagram and Facebook this week. Um, I've been definitely having fun making them. I think we're going to make some more next week. We've got four spots left. There's only four spots left for the 12 week online group workshop round four. So you can go over to ghostroomglobal.com. 
and uh, and sign up for that. Do not miss out. All the info's on the website. Um, I'm sure everybody knows about it by now, so I won't uh, I won't bore you with all the details again. But it is truly transformational, truly truly motivational. Uh, will definitely shift your paradigm. Whether you're uh, you know, trying to break into an artistic career or you already have one, but you want to kind of take more control over it and, and make it more personal um, and, and work on the kind of projects you want to work on. That's really what we focus on is making your entire life and your art career something that you just fucking love and that you're really actively involved in cultivating and propagating and, and working with your destiny uh, to achieve that. So, Four spots left, uh, $900 a pop. Um, it is a fantastic deal if you look around at how much uh, workshops cost online, how much uh, classes at, uh, at an art school cost. Um, you know, this is a three month, this is basically a semester long weekly workshop, and um, it's very powerful. It's very powerful. So if you want to become more powerful, sign up today. Um, I've also been editing together new Behind the Foreskin mini-sodes that are going to be going up on the Patreon this week. So go over to patreon.com slash ghostshrimp to see uh, Dalton Stark arrive at the residency here, joining Max Wilkins to do the residency, uh, and then uh, Ghost Scout training camp. They're both going to be cadets at camp. These guys have both come through the workshop, um, not coincidentally. There are, uh, you know, both residents came from the workshop this year, and there's three more uh, people from the workshop coming to Ghost Scout training camp. So uh, really a lot of synergy happening here. Um, more synergy shout out to Dalton for supporting the podcast, uh, this past week. So we've got a new member on the Patreon. Very exciting. Dalton Stark shout outs to you, my friend. Uh, we're going to get Dalton and Max on an upcoming podcast talking about spooky stories. I did a real good job. I barely said anything during the podcast this week, which was great. Um, I talked way too much last week with Max. He was a little shy and I ended up filling up a lot of the space. So, um, but, uh, he's got some really good stories to tell some real spooky, crazy stories from his life. Not necessarily spooky, just like insane stories. And uh, I'm sure Dalton has a bunch too, cause he's a Texas boy. So we're going to get the residents up on here pretty soon. Um, we're going to do, I think next week's episode is going to be with Mystery Sh <laughs> Mystery Sack. Shout out Jared Weiss. Um, he got bumped this week. We were going to do, this was going to be an episode with him, but then uh, the, the Osbros podcast fell into our lap and gave us a big old boner. So we had to uh, rub those bones together and create the Osbros podcast since we've been waiting to do that. So uh, apologies to Mystery Sack, but uh, we're going to get him on here next week. He's a fantastic animator. You can check out his shit in advance. Um, Jared D. Weiss. Uh, he just put out a new short called Frog Log Dog. And uh, he is uh, he's a great animator. He's uh, worked on some shows over there. He's living in L.A. right now working on various projects and uh, he's been out there for a few years uh, getting his career going so it's gonna be very interesting to uh, talk to him he went to SVA for animation and now he's out there trying to break into that Hollywood animation scene so I know a lot of people are kind of in that situation or aspiring to be or have gone through it so it'll be really fun to connect with him and uh, get his take on all that he's a very funny dude really eccentric character one of the many eccentric characters 
we have, we boast on our roster at the Secret Society of Ghost Scouts. Um, so yeah, new BTF mini-sodes. Uh, you can see Dalton uh, coming into the residency here. See what he's been up to. You can see his beef stew birthday. Um, there's, a, there's a whole, <laughs> I think it's about seven minutes edited together. I just edited it together this morning. Um, where uh, we made a campfire beef stew in the Dutch oven, and it was the most delicious beef stew, spoiler alert, the most delicious beef stew we've ever had. And uh, the bandits and the residents all got together and had a beef stew birthday party for Dalton Stark, his 23rd birthday. Shout out to you. Happy birthday, Dalton. Um, that was really fun. And uh, if people didn't, didn't notice um, on the YouTube channel, um, the full episodes, uh, two full episodes of Behind the Foreskin, full 25-minute episodes went up. Um, uh, episode one was already up there. Um, episode two, I'm just finishing up the editing on. Um, and because uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be linear. So then episode three and four, which is part one and part two of the Ghost Scout Summit, the full coverage of the Ghost Scout Summit. We had so much fun. It was very debaucherous. You guys heard some of it on the Summit podcast. Um, that was super fun. So this is the video accompaniment of all that. It shows us eating beetle, giant beetles. It shows Ken Osborne stripping down and getting into the, the, the beaver pond at night and paddleboarding around with Beef Rider and uh, us going on a hike and telling funny stories and just all kinds of stuff. Really, really takes you behind the foreskin uh, into, into what it's like to attend the Ghost Scout Summit. So it's really fun. I love sharing this with everybody. And uh, just documenting it, documenting the friendships. You know, this podcast really celebrates friendships, as everybody knows. That's really what the Ghost Scouts is about as well. It's really celebrating friendships. Um, that's really what the 12-week online group workshop is about, Workshop is about too. You know, this is all about motivating people to really follow their goals and dreams in life and, 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 uh, and get the kind of organizational and motivational tools to make that happen. Um, and the attitude, the mindset, right? But, but you know, really it's about, all of this is really about celebrating friendships. And that's really what this, what this Osbros podcast is about. Of course, the friendship between brothers. Um, but uh, yeah, check out those full episodes three and four of Behind the Foreskin. Um, new mini-sodes coming out on the Patreon, so you can go support that. Um, if you love this work, if you love this, uh, if you love this podcast, make sure you support the Patreon. Um, and of course we have a new, uh, over at the Patreon, we got a new, uh, reward level. If you support at the $5, uh, tier $5 or more, you get video shout outs at the end of the behind the foreskin full episodes on YouTube. So you can go see an example of that. Very funny, very rowdy on YouTube right now. All right. So without further ado, let's kick it over to my man, a wall one. All right, here we are with the much touted, highly touted Osbro's podcast with Hollywood Big Shots, Hollywood Big Shot Brothers, 
Mark Osborne and Kent Osborne. Welcome to the welcome back to the podcast, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Nice Live to be here. in the in the rainy day cabin today. Yeah. Sounds good. Yep. You might hear a little pitter pat. Pitter patter rain on the roof. It's a juicy old day in the Gosher National Forest. It's nice to get cozy in the cabin. And uh, we tried to do this once before, but but we, we couldn't pull it off. But here we are. Mark's back in town. Of course, Kent lives in town. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to to have you guys talk about the when you first got to Hollywood. You know, as you guys were living together, right? Yeah. So yeah. How, how did this all happen? Tell us about it. The audience wants to know. We were, we were both living in New York. Uh, Mark was going to Pratt. Yeah, and what, what time period was this? This is, this uh, is 80, the 1700s. 80, 88, okay. 1988, yeah. Uh, Ronald Reagan was still president when I moved to New York City <laughs> to pursue acting. And a year later, Mark's my younger brother. A lot of people don't know that. They think he's older. Yeah, that's an exclusive. Yeah, you heard it here first. Yep. Yep. I'm actually older, even though Mark is taller and can grow a beard. Yep. The and other day, it's more responsible. Were, the other day, you were very drunk and you were crying in the shower, and you were saying that I was there cleaning you up, and you were saying I rode my little brother's coattails into Hollywood. That's right, <laughs> pretty much. He went out there a year. So he trans. He was going to Pratt in Brooklyn. I'm. He, he, he's he, right here. You're right. He's right here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk about. It. Here's my. You tell me yeah, if this yeah. is wrong. Right. You moved, You went to CalArts. You got into animation while at Pratt, and then you decided to go to CalArts. Right. And you were out there, and I was still in New York, and I was working at the Grand Hyatt, and I worked the graveyard shift, and there was a, a room. Uh, I was a night auditor, and there was a room that I had to go into to make uh, reports at night, and it, I realized one day I could, you could call long distance uh, on this phone, Whoa. and so I would call my, I'd call Mark in California, and we'd talk on the phone. You'd be just getting home from school or work, and well, I was. To back up a tiny bit before, the summer before I went to CalArts, I got accepted CalArts. I was surprised. I thought I was going to have to apply a few times. Mm -hmm. And I got in right away. And so I needed to save up money the summer. So And Kent was going away that summer. Oh, I came to Vermont. I yeah. was in Burlington for the summer. Mm. For the... What was uh, the? For uh, uh, the Atlantic Theater Company. I was an apprentice with the Atlantic Theater Company for a few months. So I stepped into his life. I took his job waiting tables mm -hmm. at yellow fingers in manhattan mm -hmm. yeah. i moved into his apartment I, mm -hmm. and i and i lived in the room with his girlfriend <laughs> I, I didn't wow. we didn't spark up a relationship you guys would pretend you were each other and stuff <laughs> no it was okay. hey i'm good no but i would i was playing yahtzee with his best friend dylan yeah yeah it was so like you rode his coach yeah, i did New York. i wrote I, and but my my plan that summer was to make money so that i could you know uh that job was really hard, waiting tables. And I remember saying, like, I'm going to California, I'm studying animation, and I'm never waiting tables again. And so that was, like, a big part of the transition for me was going through that. It was it was a hot summer. I was trying to save every penny, and it was it was challenging. So when I got to, to CalArts, I was studying animation, and I, I spent my summers from that point on working in animation. I actually worked for David Daniels, who was an experimental animation filmmaker turned commercial director mm -hmm. so I worked for him and I got a job at E! Entertainment Television doing on-air design graphics so I was in the dorms for those two years while I finished at CalArts but then as soon as I was done at CalArts I had to move out of Valencia and Kent we were talking about where to live and so I ended up finding a house for us in Reseda in the valley 
that had a swimming pool. It was three nice. ba- three bedrooms. So yeah. my friend my friend Dylan in New York, he was an actor, and his manager moved to L.A. So he said, "I'm moving to L.A." I was looking to get out of New York because I was living in a tiny apartment and mm-hmm. taking the subway every day and not mm-hmm. happy. Anyway, so I was like, I'll go to L.A. And then, you know, my brother's out there. So, yeah, Mark found this house in Reseda. It was 1200 a month. Mm-hmm. Three-bedroom house with a big garage and a pool. Damn. Uh, Do you guys think you had made it when you were uh, in Hollywood with a pool? Well, we weren't in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, well, anybody, yeah. well anybody, close, close. No, though. anybody who was, anybody we knew from Hollywood wouldn't even come out to visit us. Unless oh, it was damn. a really hot day. Right. Okay. It was. We we didn't yeah. realize how far out we were. Yeah. And actually, how Mike, far how far out is that? I mean, it's a thirty minute drive without traffic. Right. It's in the yeah. Central Valley, but with traffic, it could be a real pain. At two in the morning, we could get there in half of yeah. an hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I would have to drive to E Entertainment Television. Which was in sort of mid Wilshire. Yeah, it would take me an hour and a half, and I did that. I did that for a long time, and I could never figure out like what was wrong. Like I always figured there were massive accidents, and it was just, <laughs> it's just congestion. Yeah, it like is, it was yeah. just. It took me a long time to figure out like there was never any reason. Right. Except for just yeah. lots of cars, but uh, we were we were living a mile from the epicenter of the Northridge earthquake. Wow. Which was. Uh, which had happened before that. No, it happened no. in '94. Oh, we moved, moved we in that house in '92. Yeah. Oh dang! We're in that uh, house. But that's also the house where we made the Weird Al Yankovic's Jurassic Park right. music video. Yeah. Was in the house and the bedrooms and in the living room. Right? Didn't the... you say you got a bunch of plants and wasn't it like yeah. too hot and they were wilting yeah, or something? If you, if you, you fast forward to the video, you see the plants wilting in like time <laughs> lapse, like every shot. And was that wilting. like the first? Like was that like a was that like a breakthrough job for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that came because of the short film I made at CalArts. Uh-huh. And because that first job I worked for David Daniels, I met a guy who was an animator named Scott Nordland who uh-huh. worked up at Will Vinton. And he and I kind of hit it off. So when the Jurassic Park video came, I asked him if he wanted to co-direct it. So we kind of partnered together. And actually, Dylan was gone at that time until yeah. Scott came down and lived in the house yeah. with us. Yeah, my friend moved out. He got a girlfriend and moved out. But then this other a co-director, this animator, yeah, moved down. A couple, yeah. uh, a couple other guys were kind of sleeping on the couches and yeah. in the corners, and we didn't know what we were doing. Did that take three months? That video, <clears throat> two yeah. months. We went to a drive-in for Jurassic Park and filmed with a with a video eight camera. We filmed the movie off the screen for reference. Yeah, and that was this how was we... before you could just say send me the file. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the only way to access. The movie to get referenced, like there was no even making of book out. Right, yet, right, and know? it wasn't official, so yeah. it's like wasn't like you were working for Jurassic yeah. Park. So yeah, because yeah. he wanted the video to come out while the movie was still in theaters. Yeah, it was kind of nuts. Wow. But so how long did you work on that? That was a quick project, quick turnaround. You say three months? Was it more? I don't remember. I just remember the day they put in the bid, and then they were waiting here, and Mark was kind of like, "Ah, let's get out of here." And so we went to the, we went and saw the fugitive. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember watching the fugitive. Like it was hard to kind of focus on it. But then when we got out, Mark checked his messages, and he was like, "Oh, we got it." Uh huh. Um, and then I was working at a hotel, and I I quit the job, and became, I was the PA on the shoot. It was like a you know five person crew. Yeah, it was tiny. And uh, but I would I would kind of run I'd run out and buy stuff and run errands and get lunch, and I had to drive to Victorville to get one of the. The Velociraptors. The and, models, yeah. Yeah, and um, I was kind of doing everything, but on the very first day... He was know, like Mark, Gordon Gags. You were the unsung hero. You were like well, pitching well, jokes. And yeah, I was keeping everybody happy, And but the very first... <laughs> Mark was the morale man. Mark was like, quit your job and work on this, and I was like, great. And then the first day, Mark's like, here's what you got to do. You got to get a, a pad, and you got to write down all your to-dos, and you got to think ahead. You got to anticipate, well... 
Cause, and I was like, oh, fuck, this was a mistake. Like, I'm not, because, like, my little brother is, like, t- like, we're different. Like, I swear to God, we, my mom fucked the mailman. And, uh, we're not really related. Like, I'm missing like, some of the, yeah. yeah. Because he's so responsible and, like, on top of it. And I'm just like, yeah, we could do that tomorrow. Like, that's. <laughs> so he's the mailman's child because he's organized. No, I think time. he's like my dad. <laughs> okay. he's, yeah, yeah. I think the mailman was a pot. He's a mailman. Oh. That he, <laughs> just, he got fired. He got fired that yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. A not good mailman. It was a mailman who came like And once, he kept pretending to deliver the mail just to come see your mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you look closely, it wasn't. It was the U.S. meal. He was just wearing like a Yankees jacket, like yeah. a blue, yeah, like a yeah. blue <laughs> Yankees jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyways, but it was a, yeah. yeah, it felt like, God, it was the... But then you started videotaping, and I have two hours of footage. Kent started videotaping behind the scenes. Well, that was one of my jobs, really. Like, yeah. Videotape. Yeah. Yeah, so we have, like, all this footage, and it's kind of insane because you get to see just how ridiculous the whole thing was. The yeah. fact that we were in a house, we had no air conditioning. Right. We were dripping in sweat and so the pool became like our only relief right and, and there that was, point, spent we a lot sh- of time in that pool yeah. Yeah. yeah but there were three different like areas and you would like shooting areas shooting yeah. areas and you guys would go in and you'd just be like all right i'm gonna go in and do this like four second shot i'll see you in five hours or yeah. like it would it was like they would just be in there working like all day and scott ended up moving out into the the pool house he was sleeping in the oh, pool yeah, house because right, yeah. we were using one of the bedrooms to shoot. Because it was had. stop motion? Yeah, yeah it yeah. was all claymation, yeah. too. So the yeah. clay was, like, melting. It was so hard. Oh, my God. But we had a guy named Joe. Did you think Howard. you were going to mess it up? Were you, like, freaking out? Oh, like, it was, this isn't going to work. Did it, it seem like it, when you were working on it, were you like, wow, this is working? Or were you like, I have no idea if this is going to work or not? No, it felt, it, felt like, it felt like we were crashing the ship. Like, it was like... <laughs> But but we were just having to crank out and you know and also making so much the, compromise. You yeah. made all the models like you they they made models like they, they made like we made foam molds. dinosaurs like we yeah. you know in, in some cases we were doing things on the cheap but in a lot of cases we were following sort of the way you, that Will Vinton would do it or the way that you're supposed to do it the established techniques and we we hired like great model makers to do the sculpts like there were guys in Portland working on it like. It's kind of when you look at the the list of everybody who worked on it. It's kind of a, an amazing list. And how would you get the models from Portland? They would ship them down. Well, actually, in a couple cases, we actually had a, a team in Portland that was actually shooting a few shots and a few scenes. Mm. And there was some stuff that was down shooter stuff that that was done on glass that was done up in Portland. Oh wow! Um, but when Scott came down, he rented a truck and he brought all the equipment. He, we were renting equipment from. From people up there, or I can't remember if we borrowed or rented from what, even from Will Vinton at that time, which became Leica. But we were, he came down with all the equipment. So when the job was over, we had to drive it all back up. And we did a whole huge road trip. Uh, yeah. that, <laughs> the Bucks did you when yeah. the mosquitoes were coming? It just went in my ear. Uh oh. I'm getting choked up. <laughs> I got like a tickle. <laughs> I think I have some you water. Think, you're getting Where's sad thinking about some this? Water. Thanks. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting all choked up thinking of these sweaty meat boys yeah. making this video. <laughs> <laughs> but it was super fun. Like yeah. like Weird Al would come out to Reseda yeah. and we did we had a big living room with no furniture and he would just kinda like lie in the floor and play with my dog and he was like super normal. Yeah, and... like we shot reference of him in the living room, like against we put up a piece of foam core and we just had him lip syncing the song and yeah. shooting reference and so yeah he was very but he was so nice and and we ended up making a movie a few years later and he he acted in it he did a cameo and then yeah. I made Uncle Kent too and I 
you know, he had done voices on Adventure Time. I called him. I said, "Do you want to do a voice?" And he came in and yeah. um, kind of. It was the only time that everybody from the crew came down to see Weird Out. Like everyone was taking pictures with him, and he was wow. just like, you know, he's such a kind of shy yeah. guy, uh, you know. But uh, I get a Christmas card from him every year. Yeah, it's so funny that he's shy. You wouldn't think that from his persona. Well, he came in. It was really. It was really. He was so positive. I mean, I'm jokingly saying, like, oh, we were crashing the ship. I mean, yeah. we were getting our shots done. We were sending film to the lab every night. Right. And he would come out, and we would run the dailies on a moviola. Like, uh -huh. it was like, we were shooting on 35 millimeter. It was uh -huh. like, you know, old school. The year was 1993. Yeah. <laughs> the year 1993. And he would come and look and watch shots in the moviola, and he was always like, great. This is great. Like, yeah. he was always so, like, encouraging. And, you know, we were, we had a deadline because the premiere date on MTV was, like, set so we oh, definitely wow. had to deliver and i i feel like we delivered it on time and on budget but i i don't remember exactly I, we must have because yeah no. everything was set you know yeah so and that's I, interesting so does that mean it wasn't something that he financed like he got he like he would maybe pitch this to mtv and then they would strike a deal and then he would get money and then he would I make the video know. with that I, money i believe the money he it came from him because he yeah. he had his own record label yeah, yeah, he self-produced okay. so yeah. i feel like they would budget. They they would have a, a promotions budget, mm -hmm. and I'm guessing that came from that. But he knew MTV did it every hour on the hour that day. Like it was a wow. big deal when it wow. premiered, and he was like the host that day. Yeah. Oh wow! So well, I remember E came out to interview him in the living room. No, and, um, Entertainment Weekly. Oh, Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. And he was like making jokes. He was talking about like Barney, how kids love Barney, but Barney's a dinosaur, and Barney would really eat these kids. <laughs> <laughs> and she wasn't like laughing or anything and, was, and he was like wow you really like me you really think I'm funny like he was like, you remember that maybe that was he because I, I guess yeah, there were multiple I can't remember he was on camera all I know is I have a video of Entertainment uh, Tonight did a segment and I have like a weird wonky VHS like dub of a dub of it that I have that has him giving a tour of our house in Reseda oh wow and yeah. Oh, and then and then it got it was nominated for a Grammy for best video. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, which was wow. like That's totally so cool. Year it felt like years later. Yeah. Oh, and, it happened a lot later when it was nominated. Yeah, because we were living in a different house. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was like ninety. And he called up and said, "Oh, it got nominated for Grammy." It was like what? And then I called Scott and yeah, so Scott and I both got nominated. And, and you lost to David Fincher. Sorry, mosquito. Yeah, yeah we're, sorry. if you hear the slapping, we're just slapping at these these, these wild insects. You're doing this. Like, you're, yeah. you're, like, oh, you're making a point. That's okay. That's okay. As long as you don't, if, you stop, if we do the floor, then it'll like pick oh, up okay. reverberations on the mic. But, but yeah, David Fincher won the Grammy that year for "Love Is Strong," which was a Rolling Stones video, which. So they're all tall, walking around the city. Right, I remember yeah. that. That was a big one. It's much, much more appropriate Grammy winning. Yeah. But uh, we went and we saw the whole ceremony. Waited, we waited the whole ceremony for our category, and it never came up. And then at the end of the show, we, like we had to, we had to ask an usher or something like. And they were like, "Oh were yeah, like, that did was we miss it. That was the pre-show. You missed. Oh, wow. it. it was in the pre-show, oh, and you guys God. didn't win. Oh like, my God. So we were like, "Oh, okay, that's funny." Yeah. Now, do you have footage of the? Do you have this footage still? Yeah. Like, is this available I anywhere put it to on watch? Vimeo? Actually, oh, you did. Okay, so I put it on Vimeo, and so you can see the two-hour. You can see the two-hour footage. Like, you can just kind of, but you can also see the Entertainment Weekly thing. So I'll send you the links. Okay, <laughs> for people interested, do you know? Yeah. Do you, is it just your Vimeo, or yeah. do you have to have the link? I'll give you the links. Okay, we could post the link in the yeah. description. 
But it, Scott Nordland ended up, he passed away a year and a half ago, and it was really uh, unexpected and really, really sad. He was he was a big part of the animation community, especially in Portland and San Francisco. Yeah. And, and so I went and found all this material, and I put together a video. So I actually have a cut-down video that's more like a tribute to him. Oh, cool. That is definitely worth watching, because it's like... He's he was a he was a real talent and he was an incredible guy and it was it was definitely like a really difficult job for us and it mm -hmm. was a real challenge but it was the fact that we ended up getting nominated for a Grammy was like insane yeah. at the end of all that you yeah. know and and it that it came later you know but um, but yeah unfortunately he's no longer with us but anyway yeah. you can see the video he's a he's he's a real character he's yeah. a good guy yeah yeah and so what happened after that. What did that, what did, like, what, what, you know, what's the next step in the story there? After that, I got a job as a bartender. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I showed up for my first day of work, and nobody was uh, there. And I, so I sat outside, because it was before cell phones and stuff. So I'm, I, you know, I'm sitting outside waiting for them to come and open the place. And, uh, you know, an hour goes by, no one's showing up. And then there's a homeless guy on Hollywood Boulevard going oj's on the freeway he's got a gun he's got oh a gun God. and i was like okay buddy <laughs> glug 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 you know uh and it was it was during the i showed up for my first day of work as a bartender and it was the day that oj was on the freeway and i told oh i'm the God. only person that missed it oh my i was just God. sitting on that was, was like TV april the yeah. what was that april 12th, i don't know you know april? i forget now <laughs> well don't let's see know? april I should, I should have a tattoo no april's <laughs> when the murder happened i think oh okay and then i think it was probably it was during the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I think it was around. Oh, I think it was, it was May. It been May. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it was like May twelfth or May twenty. Yeah, because the like something. the World Cup was going on. Yeah. The NBA playoffs. NBA playoffs because we the were NHL, watching the Knicks game NHL and it cut into yeah, the Chase yeah. live, and we were like, what? and we were in Reseda. We were home in Reseda, and we could hear the cop. You could hear the cop cars. Wow. You know, we were probably what a mile away from the four hundred five. Maybe less than a mile away, so we, actually we could hear it, but we and we could we were watching on TV. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, so I worked as a, yeah. I worked as a bartender. I worked as a bartender, which At, this was the Diamond Club. Yeah, this was the Diamond Club, which was uh, it's kind not of there like anymore. Cocktail. It's yeah, it's kind of like cocktail. Uh, it was like a really it was a club that would get really crowded, and I'd make drinks and make like two hundred bucks a night. And it was a big deal. Cash tips. tips. Yeah, wow, yeah. Wow, damn. Um, balling, and you'd throw you know throw bottles and really like, yeah yeah toss, <laughs> toss them. And Did like, they like to tell you to do that? Do no, no. The, the other bartenders were really the uh, cocktail they were, they were into it. it. Yeah, yeah. Right. They were spinning. I know how to spin yeah. bottles and stuff. Wow. Um, but there was one bar. There was a bartender named Swanee, and he was like kind of the bar, you know he was like a real Hollywood bartender. And yeah. one day I brought in a pizza uh, before the shift. I brought a pizza and everyone's like, "Yeah, pizza!" And we're all eating it. And they're like, "All right, let's get let's start to open it." And we, someone threw the box away and we're like wiping down the bar. And the little cellophane packet of Parmesan cheese like fell out of the box and landed on the bar. And we're getting ready to set up. And I see Sw I look over and I see Swanee and he sees this little cellophane packet of powder and he's like, "Ooh." And he kind of looks at it, and he goes, I'll be right back. And he's heading to the bathroom. <laughs> and I was like, uh, hey, Swanee? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, uh, I'm not ac accusing you of anything, but that's uh, that's Parmesan cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, ah, okay, yeah. I <laughs> like, love it. I'm just going to season yeah, he threw it away. nuts. He's like, ah, I thought it was something else. <laughs> but then all night we were talking about him going to the bathroom and doing a line and going, mama mia. <laughs> <laughs> But I was working at this bar, and this kind of inadvertently led to me working for Rob Schneider because uh, 
a few, oh, a few years right. later. Because yes. one day the guy who owned the place, uh, uh, who was this kind of character, he would carry a, a you know metal briefcase and a, like a gun, and he had a Mercedes, and he always wore suits and had a big Rolex, and he, he just was, walked around with his gun in his hand. He would when you came in the, at the end of the night to turn your your bank in, yeah. he would pull out a gun and point it at you and laugh. And oh my gosh! Yeah, and he was always smoking cigars. And if you ever if you're a fan of Mr. Show, there's a Mr. Show book. Because when Mr. Show started, they started doing live performances at this bar. Yeah. Oh, the it, What Happened book or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And in the and they at one point they said we ended up moving to a theater because we didn't want to be in some Hollywood cokehead's dream of right. <laughs> nightclubs. You know, they they refer to the guy without name. Yeah, Anyways, funny. but one day he came in and said, "Hey, you're a writer, huh? Did you, did you write? A, do you have any scripts? Do you have any scripts?" And I so I gave him the script that I wrote that I wanted to mark to direct and me to act in, and uh, and he. He ended up, he was like Coke buddies with this guy who worked on Down Periscope, who was a producer on Down Coke Periscope. Buddies. Yeah, I, th- I mean, whatever. They were, they were <laughs> pals. Buddies. I'm assuming they were Coke buddies because right. they, they were like, we're going to make a movie. You I know? do not have, yeah, everyone. Uh, everyone. But he gave, he gave this, this script I wrote to this guy, and the guy ended up giving it to Rob Schneider. And so Rob Schneider wanted to meet Mark and I. To, he wanted to act in this movie. And uh, we said, well, we're still trying to raise the money. This was like a couple years later. But, uh, you found the letter of intent when you were packing. Yeah, yeah. He uh, when I was at uh, Rob wrote, I to whom it may concern, I will, will want to act in this movie and like signed it. And yeah. I just found it recently when I was moving. <laughs> um, but uh, he didn't get the part. He didn't get the. But he, <laughs> I mean, we ended up making it, and yeah, uh, a couple years later. But at the time, he said, "Well, what what are you doing right now?" And at that point, I was driving a limousine. He said, "Well, quit your job and work for me. Uh, you can help me write a script." So he paid Rob paid me. This was like ninety. Six, nineteen ninety six, and he paid me five hundred bucks a week, just to kind of. I was I helped him write a script, and then he just kept me on the payroll, and I would kind of follow him around and write jokes. Yeah, any appearance he made from ninety six, probably for a couple years. Yeah, like appearances on Conan O'Brien or anything. Appearance like Kent was writing the bits. Yeah, that's so funny. That's yeah. so cool. It's like, like funny this, people. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. God, when, like I movie, pe- funny when I saw funny people, when I saw funny people, because they're friends too, Sandler and Schneider. Yeah, when I when he's like, stay with me while I go to sleep, like that's straight up something Rob would do. Like I tell people, they're like, what's it like working for Rob Schneider? I said, oh, it's just like funny people, except he wasn't dying of cancer. <laughs> <laughs> so you would just sit there while he fell asleep. A couple times. Yeah, uh, you know he would. He, yeah, he but then was, you wrote you wrote this Superman he, bit. He had his own demons. Yeah, I did a couple of Conan appearances. I helped write some stuff. Like, uh-huh. Really, like, really funny, really crazy funny. Yeah, uh, there was one. Yeah, he did Conan once where he came out and he was mad because Tim Burton was remaking Superman. He's like, I couldn't even get an audition. Oh, the Nick Cage one. Yeah, the Nick Cage one. <laughs> oh, man, so and he's hilarious. like, but I have a I have my audition for Superman. He came out dressed in like a Superman suit, like a puffy one. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he stood up and he did this like monologue that we wrote where it was like. <laughs> Lex Luthor, you think you're going to beat me? You idiot. I'm Superman. <laughs> I can score more goals than Wayne Gretzky. You know, I was like, this is really <laughs> yeah, dumb. Yeah. And then at the end, he goes, and above all, I'm better than Nick Cage because I can fly without any special effects. And he's like, okay, boys, hook me up. And they come out, they put him in a harness. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm flying. And he takes off and immediately just goes upside down. <laughs> and then the... Uh, you know, the rig, like, accidentally, you know, breaks. Not really. Yeah. But, so then he's like, uh, we can't get you down. So then for the rest of the show, he's he, was, hanging, he was hanging above, above the, the desk. couch. And, like, that was your idea to do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And so the whole show, like, the next like the next guest was, like, Ed Koch. And he came out. And you'd just see Rob's feet. But then they would float up. And then you'd see, like, the cape would come into frame. <laughs> and at one point, his hand was coming down to try and touch Ed Koch's bald head. <laughs> 
And uh, but yeah, that so they Conan yeah loved having him on because he was always doing like weird like bits and yeah. like you know elaborate. Yeah, I want I once wrote these bits that were on a magazine. It was a magazine cover. We were flying to do Conan. And he's like, well, right on the plane. So we're trying to write bits on the plane. And I pulled out the American Airlines magazine, and Conan was on the cover. And so we were like, okay, we can do something with this. So then when he went on the show, he's like, Conan, I was flying here to do the show, and you were on the cover of American Air, American Airways. And then he goes, and then we got in the cab, and you were on the cover of Cabby Monthly. <laughs> like, so they had like a, 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 a fake yeah, magazine, Cabby yeah. Monthly, with like Conan driving. And then it was like, and then we went to get gas. And you're on the cover of Mobile Spotlight. <laughs> it was like, a thing of him, like Conan pumping gas. But then at the end of the show, one of the producers came up and was like, "Hey, did you write those? You wrote those magazine bits?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he gave me the magazines. Oh shit! So I have those somewhere. Oh, that's I, funny. I could dig those up. That's cool. I thought they'd be like, "Come write for us." Yeah, I know. Yeah, I wish. Nice. No. Uh, um, I just was thinking too. I wanted to back up a little bit, tell a little bit more of the origin of how the Weird Al thing happened. Yeah. Only because like I skipped over a. Like the Diamond Club story, I'd forgotten that that's how you connected with Rob Schneider. Yeah. But when I was working at E! Entertainment Television, I was doing on-air graphics, uh-huh. which was like, I was basically hired to do sort of experimental animation stuff, and that was, it was like a good gig. It was like I learned, I was learning, it was a good extension of what I was doing in school. Uh-huh. But the guy who was the editor was a guy named Mike Davis. He was the, he was, this was back before like Avids, and back before you could edit on your fucking laptop, and he would you'd have to be in an online bay and you'd be going like tape A to tape B and, and so you need this guy to put everything together. This guy had edited all the music videos for Green Jelly, formerly known as Green Jello. Do you know this band? I don't think so. They were huge for a while mm-hmm. and they worked at E. They worked in like the tape library and so Mike Davis had edited all their videos and they had done claymation videos and yeah. Weird Al was friends with that band. So when Weird Al wanted to do Jurassic Park, he asked them do you know who to do it? And they asked Mike, and Mike said, oh, I know this guy who did this short. Oh, wow. So Mike had helped me finish my my student film. So my student film, which was called Greener, was what Green Jello handed to Weird Al that Weird Al looked at and said, oh, you know, do you want to make our music video? It was like such a bizarre chain of, you know what I mean? How I got how I got the call. Yeah. Anyway, it's just always. But weird. it's like it's being in the right place at the right time, yeah. and then having something that you can show of your like. That's the advice I give yeah. everybody. They're like, how do you, you know, how important is networking? How important is this? And it's just like make make your own stuff, and have it at the ready. Yeah. So that when someone is saying, "Hey, I need someone," and someone right. says, "Oh, I know someone who does something like that." Yeah. Then you can then you have something to show instead yeah. of yeah. It's being and prepared I, for success and try, being pre- yeah. being prepared for success and then trying to create opportunities. Just yeah. going out there and trying to entice destiny to like meet you halfway. Yeah. Right. And, well, and I would say like it's not networking the idea, and I, I think sometimes people misunderstand the idea of networking. You're not trying to meet somebody who's going to give you an opportunity. Like nobody's nobody's going to be like you know, giving you a job that you don't deserve. Like right. that, it, networking is just increasing the odds that you're going to be at the right place at the right time. And if right. you've got something to show for yourself that will click or fit, like even the fact that you had a script and was like, you have any scripts, yeah. you know, Rob Schneider read your script and then said, Oh, come work for me. You know, yeah. it's like, you need, like I went in the next day with a script. So yeah. it wasn't like, Oh, I have an idea I'm working on. Let me try and crank this out. And then but I- it doesn't happen. Like, Oh, you're really funny. Do you have a right. script? No, I'm, you know, I'm working on one. And so Rob Schneider's written, not going to hire when, you. Just when had you funny. written this script? I'd written it uh, when I, so I moved to LA to be an actor and I wasn't having any luck. 
and I was, you know, bartending and, you know, and so I just, I decided I was going to just write a, a live action movie. And it was based on a play that you wrote. Sort of, yeah. I mean, I've been writing plays. I was in a theater company in New York, and yeah. I, just, I write plays for them because it was we didn't have to pay this royalties. This is the David Mamet one. Well, this was an we. It was a bunch of us that were apprentices for the David Mamet Theater Company. Uh-huh. I mean, the Atlantic Theater Company, which was started by David Mamet. Right. Uh, but we were all apprentices. I think hoping to get into the Atlantic Theater Company, and then we didn't. So then we started our own theater company. Uh, which had a really pretentious title. What? It was the Common Ground Stage and Film Company. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't there. I wanted to be called American Cheese Theater Company. I thought that was... I was like, yeah, and then when we could put a play, we'd say, it's American Cheese. And, it's, and then the next time, we could do more American Cheese. Right. And yet still more American Cheese. Like, I, I thought that was funny. But then they went with the Common Ground Stage and Film Company. That sounds very Vermont. Yeah, well, we were all in New York at that yeah, time. But, yeah. but anyways, but I would write. I, that's how I got into writing. I was writing plays. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then I was just like, I'm gonna write a movie uh, that Mark can direct and I can act in. Yeah, like, like that was our that was our plan. You know. Yeah, we we'll just gonna, raise raise. Yeah, the just money. do it yourself. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, this don't, was like don't just post... wait for someone to, to give you the green light to do it. Just yeah. do right. it. But then that that script like clerks and swingers were both sort of the, yeah inspirational yeah, the model, yeah you know but uh that, but once I had that script though that script ended up serving as like a calling card like I could hand it to people and then I <laughs> yeah I got work out of it I got hired I got I was hired to write that other the littles at large like I people read my script and then asked me to do a rewrite on their script right and because you proved it you're like yeah, hey, yeah. I did this it's yeah. not like hey I can do this Wait, yeah did the littles at large get made no oh that was great. Thanks. Was that like the Littles, the book? No, no. It was a, it was a, based on a true story of a uh, older couple retired and they're riding in an RV and in the middle of the night he stops for gas and she gets out to pee and he gets back in and takes off without her. <laughs> uh, and I think it happened somewhere in the Southwest. Yeah. But then these uh, Australian producers wanted to make it in Australia uh-huh. and the, the, their, their last name was Little. So it was... Uh-huh. And she's like... You know, and they, it ends up they, they get... I can't even remember what happened. So there ends up being like a bank robbery and they're both on the run. So it's called The Littles at Large. I came up with that title. Yeah, I like that. But you wrote a bunch of scripts for Rob too, Rob Schneider. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pipsy Fever. Yeah. Yeah, Rob wanted to make a a serious movie. Yeah. Uh, Well, he's half Filipino and there was this real story that happened when Pepsi tried to take over some of the soda market in the Philippines. They had this big... uh, lottery where you, you pop the cap and there's a number on the uh, inside of the cap uh-huh. and and if you get the winning number you win like a million pesos which is the filipino right. dollar or whatever yeah anyways this is a true story yeah everyone was like pepsi was selling off the shelves everyone's collecting bottle caps trying to win a million pesos they farmed out the company that decides the winning number they farmed it out to mexico mexico sent they picked a number at random faxed the number to the Philippines. They faxed it upside down. Oh, my God. So the God. guy on the air read the wrong number. Oh, my God. And 7 million people won a million pesos, oh which was like... Oh, my God. Like, there was, like, that was, um, was going to break... You know, and Pepsi just went, uh, we're not paying. And they and then everyone started, like, um, organizing and protesting. And oh, my God. Surrounding Pepsi's headquarters in, the, in Manila. And they, uh, the executives had to leave with security, like in the. Do you think that's really what happened? They read it upside down. Or do you think they just said that? That's and they didn't what realized they fucked up. There's one New York Times article about this whole thing, yeah. and they say that it was a garbled fax. Wow. So I'm not sure if it was in the movie we had it that was upside down, right. but it might have been. It oh, was, like just blurry. Yeah, like a yeah. six was a seven or something. Wow. But 
Um, anyway, so Rob. I gotta jump on a pee. I'll be right back. Just keep going. Oh, okay. I'm listen outside. <laughs> I drank so much water and coffee this morning. So, anyways, Dan. <laughs> uh, so Rob wanted to do a, a movie based on this story, and he there was a movie called Local Hero. Remember Local Hero? Yeah. Peter yeah. Riegert and Burt Lancaster, yeah. where it's about a an oil guy who's like part Irish that gets sent to or uh, Scot Scotland. He gets sent to Scotland. Mm. Uh, anyway, so Rob wanted to do where he's like a low level Pepsi employee that gets sent to Manila to head up this lottery and then it all goes wrong and and the first draft I wrote was like you know a Chris Farley movie where he's an idiot that gets put in a position of power and he's you know always falling out of his chair and like you know I hurt my butt or you know it was like it was full of jokes like that where he was just a dummy and he's like no I want to get an Oscar yeah he like wanted a serious movie so we then wrote a serious one um, and then he ended up making Deuce Bigelow <laughs> Wait, did, that's what turned into that, or that's, no, no, no. He that's did, just he what just happened. Went he that direction. Yeah, he, he zigged. Was, he was yeah. developing that with someone else. Okay, he uh, zigged instead of zag. But he had a lot of. He had a lot of. He wanted to be Jim Carrey in the Man on the Moon movie, and at that time, everyone was. Oh, that's when that Andy Kaufman movie came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, oh, and like wow. Jim Carrey, you know, uh, but Ed Norton, Kevin Spacey, like all these actors wanted to play Andy Kaufman, and Rob really wanted to play Andy Kaufman. Oh wow. And, and he, at one point, said to me, he goes, think about it. Who's better than me to play Andy Kaufman? And I said, well, I mean, Jim Carrey, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite, here's my favorite Rob Schneider story. So when you, okay, Kent was, we were having a going away party at our house. Oh, because I went to Hong Kong. Kent was going to Hong Kong. To work on a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie that Rob was in, and Rob yeah. took me to Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah. And we were having a party at our house, and you played... And and Rob was there, and and you played the appearance on Conan where he was gonna do karate, karate, yeah. and then it was gonna be like a bit with like everybody's kung fu fighting playing or something. I don't remember the bit, but Kent was proud of it, and Rob was there, and it was all of our friends. And I think it was really odd that Rob was actually there in the room. Like it wasn't like he would hang out with all of us. It was so it was sort of a little novelty. But Kent played the tape. He wouldn't hang out in a group. Well, not in our group. Yeah, he wasn't. Pass me that water. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't hanging out socially with me and my friends. Yeah, it was right. just oh, right. it was sort okay. of an oddity. We had a going away party. He so had a business relationship. Kind of like I would hang out with him all the time. Like it was. You'd hang out with his people, but yeah, he wouldn't yeah. come and hang out. Like right, I, that makes I sense. never yeah, like yeah, hung yeah. out with him yeah, very much. Sure. But anyway, so Ken's playing the tape to show this appearance on Conan, and Conan comes out wearing like a a gi, I guess, a karate outfit. Right. And, you know, he's, what, nine feet tall. And right. then Rob Schneider comes out wearing oh a gi. God. And oh just God. next to Conan, yeah. you look pretty small. And and one one of my CalArts buddies, one of our friends with CalArts, Mike Mitchell, as soon as Rob walked out, went, Mike Mitchell went, tiny! <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody laughed. And that was kind of one of Mike's things that he would do. He would, like, right. do shout-outs like that sometimes. And, there, and and then, but then it was like, oh shit, he's in the room. Yeah, the whole room got uncomfortable. Because it was like, Rob was actually there, and it was true, he was tiny. But that was the gag, right? Well, no. Or that was it, like, it, it you just didn't realize how No, much it wasn't it was a gag, work. it okay. just happened yeah. to be like a reality of yeah. the... Okay, oh, and, I see. Anyway, so when he yelled, tiny, um, but Mike Mitchell ended up directing... Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. Oh my god! Like I, yeah. when I think back to that, like yeah. I wonder if Mike ever right remembers if they that, ever closed yeah. that circle. But it was that was you know he didn't know him yeah. at that time. But Mike That's was so a funny. Mike made a short film and he was sort of an up and coming director and he ended up directing Deuce Bigelow, male yeah. gigolo. Wow, 
origin stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now talking about the John Claude Van Damme one because that's that's hilarious. Oh, that's so, so yeah, crazy. there's a movie called Knockoff. I couldn't remember. I was going to say Face Off. <laughs> no, Knockoff. Because <laughs> yeah, knock knock it was blue jeans, right? Fake blue jeans. Yeah, yeah. So Rob and and Jean Claude Van Damme are like business partners, and there's uh, there's some like evil organization that's putting little nano bombs in like all these knockoff products coming out of Hong Kong and Rob is like ex CIA or something or, but anyways, the, serious role for him. Well, it was a, it was like an action movie. It was Troy Hark who did Peking opera blues. And like, he was the, like discovered John Woo. And he's like this legendary, you know, Chinese filmmaker. Uh-huh. And, uh, so Rob gets cast as, you know, it, I think it was when... It was an action movie, obviously. Yeah, it was an action, ac- was action, action movie. Action comedy. Yeah, like yeah. So it was Demolition Man? Kind of like yeah. le- Lethal Weapon. Yeah, he had done Demolition Man and he had oh, done... that movie was awesome. When that came out, dude, we loved that movie. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun to watch again. I haven't seen that Demolition like, since Man. Yeah, then. we watched it recently. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, he'd been in some movies, but this was like a big thing for him to be opposite Jean-Claude Van Damme. But I think it's, it was a way of... Like, there were movies coming out where it was like an action star and like Dennis Rodman or an right. action yeah. star and... <laughs> you know, Nick Nolte or whatever, you know, right. it was like, it was a buddy kind of like leave right. a weapon or anyway. So Rob and Van Damme and Rob was like, I'm going to uh, Hong Kong for like three months and I can, you know, there's, uh, it says in my contract that I can bring my assistant. Uh, I kind of don't want to bring her. I'd rather bring you and we can uh, write while we're there. We can keep working on the script. And, and, uh, and he said, I won't make you do any assisting stuff, you know, like, uh, <laughs> And I said, oh, my God, great. It was like a 1000 bucks a week, which yeah. is more than I've ever gotten in my life. Mm. Um, so I went, and the first day we landed in Hong Kong, it was became clear pretty quickly that our relationship had changed. And that was now his assistant. Yeah. And it was not... It wasn't the worst job, but it was pretty... But it wasn't really what you wanted. It was to a do. little humiliating. Yeah, he... I mean, he just beca- became a little uh, uh, abusive, verbally abusive and... Uh, you know, but I had to, uh, whatever. I, it was, it was a great experience. I got to like, you were there yeah, for the changeover. I was there for the, yeah. When they, when, uh, you know, UK gave, uh, Hong Kong back to the Chinese. Uh-huh. Like, uh, so I, you know, we went and we would go to like, you know, fancy dinners and parties and sm- I'd be smoking cigars with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Choi Hark. So and cool. What is, what is Jean-Claude Van Damme like in person? He's, I mean, he was fucking kind of like crazy out of control. Like he would, uh, <laughs> I mean, he was. I mean, first. Of I all, think he's really like known for being a cokehead, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I saw a mountain of coke in his. And I had to deliver some to his room. Like so there, was deli- there was literally like a small. Like... Yeah, there was like more coke than I'd ever seen in my life. And but he have also, you ever done coke? I a couple times. Yeah. I mean, have you, Mark? No, you're not I'm, into I'm drugs. I'm afraid of coke. I'm oh, afraid yeah. of coke. I'm already yeah. high keyed. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. I don't want to mess with that. I yeah. did it once. I was at a party with my girlfriend. She liked coke, and this girl said, "Hey, do you guys want to do a butt bump?" Do you want to do a B bump, a double B, a butt B? And I was like, "What do you? I don't know what this means." And she's like, "Oh, you take you you lick your finger, you put you to get some coke, and then you stick it up your butt, and it's you know there's more capillaries, and it's like it gets into your system quicker, and it's really fun." And so we were like, "Okay." So the three of us stuck, you know, put coke on our fingers and stuck it up our butts, and then uh, you do the second round. You got to wash the. And then you put it on your right. Then you put on your gums afterwards. Yeah, but no, but then like you know, ten minutes later, this girl whose party was was like, "Hey, did you guys like that butt bump?" And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And she said, "Do you want to do another one?" And my girlfriend said, uh, "Can I just snort it?" And I said, "Can I just put my finger up my butt?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Because that was the part I liked about it. That's not so much the coke. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, he was doing a lot of coke. One day he showed up on set. He was like late, and Rob's just kind of waiting. And then he showed was up. Was Rob into coke too? Uh, not as much as <laughs> JC. <laughs> JC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was Parmesan though. Yeah, <laughs> could be. Not Allegedly, this is all alleged. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But Rob is always like, you know, everybody calls him JC. Everyone calls him JC. I'm gonna call him VD. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rob was was really funny, but, but verbally abusive. Anyways, <laughs> but so one day, like Rob's on set waiting for him to show up. He finally shows up. They finally get him out of his trailer. He comes and he sits down, and he leans over to Rob and he says, "Rob told me later he whispered in his ear, I haven't slept in nine days." <laughs> and he was like having sex with everybody. Like he was, he would have sex with his wife, and then she'd leave, and then his ex wife would show up, and then he would have sex with an extra, and then he would have sex. With the go get a massage and get a hand job, and then you have a hooker come up to his room. And, oh my god! And he dude. was just fucking everything. And at one point, he, yeah, the he got in trouble in the hook. It was like they were in a fancy hotel, and he threw the phone at the hooker, and uh, and he was just like, yeah, he was. I mean, he was, and he everywhere you go with him, it was like everybody knew. Like in Asia, like knows who he, he was is. Super big, then, huge so. star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so everywhere you go, people would be freaking. What were the movies that were out around that time? Is this like Universal Soldier? Like, yeah, yeah. It was like, after that, right? Uh, after, after that, that. Yeah. it was right after Double Team. I think he okay. was starting to like. Yeah. But should you be talking about? This? I don't know. <laughs> Allegedly, this is <laughs> all alleged. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I think yeah. this stuff is kind of like. I mean, I know about this stuff just through the internet. You know? Right. Right. Not all this. Yeah, you said but... it first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am a storyteller. Yeah, this is this is what we're going for. <laughs> the juice, like... dude. The straight juice. We don't want the we want the we want the deep cuts here. Um, <laughs> hey, if John Claude Van Damme or Rob Schneider complains about this, that'll be a big bonus. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you want that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we want. We all went to the. Uh, to the, we went and got massages. We went to like the spa where you walk around naked and like then you get like these amazing massages uh, without any hanky panky. It was like a real place. And then it's supposedly uh, Rob's brother John said once he said, "Hey, do you want to go back to that place?" And Jean Claude Van Damme said, "Don't bring Rob's assistant. He's that guy's got a big cock and I don't like it." You're showing him up, dude. Yeah, yeah. Damn. <laughs> And I was like, what? What? I was like, can I get that in writing? <laughs> <laughs> that should be a blurb on your book. Yeah. Don't bring Ken Osborne. He's got a bigger dick than me. John Claude Van Damme. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a crazy experience uh, being there and being just on a movie set. Oh, and that was the thing too. That, you know, it said in Variety when the movie was announced that it had like a $35 million budget. And the first day we got there and Rob was kind of looking around the set and he was looking at the crew and he's like, there's no way they're paying more than three million for this movie. Right. Yeah, and so I think that was a thing back then. You you could make a movie. Still a thing. I, I yeah yeah yeah. It's still yeah. But yeah, you would raise the money and then make it for three, and the produce everyone would yeah say, keep it. Yeah, would keep the rest and uh, wow. Yeah. But there, you know, we had like, you know, twelve hour days, which weren't that long, but we do seventy five setups. Like usually yeah, the bell. Did they do the bell thing? Jackie Chan always yeah, yeah. Bell. Yeah, yeah. the bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the first like, day. Yeah. The, no, no, no. The bell would be like, go, go, go. When we were recording Jackie Chan for um, oh, right. for Kung Fu Panda, the voice record sessions are usually pretty relaxed. Right. And he wanted it to go like this, and he would tell us like, ding, ding, let's go, ding, ding. He like, would ring a bell? Yeah. Jackie they Chan? They would ring a bell to, to, to get everybody to like... To, 
like make everybody move quicker. Right, right, when right. When they wanted, when he wanted to shoot, he would ring a bell. So he would like constantly say to us, like, "Ding, ding, let's do this. Go, go. <laughs> ding, ding, come on, yeah. ding, ding." Yeah. He would just say it verbally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I thought that was a <laughs> oh no no filmmaking. Well, thing. it definitely we were doing like seventy five setups a day, and nice. like they like they'd be shooting. You know, the dudes would be running around laying track for the camera and like wearing flip flops and climbing up scaffolding. Like right. it, the the crew was like working yeah. insanely hard. For all these like like stunt shots and and there was one scene where they're like they're running through you know this like market and they wanted ambiance so they wanted like like smoke or fog you know right and you know usually you have like a fog machine but to create the illusion of smoke burned they burned yeah they burned stuff in barrels they were like burning a real smoke you guys are just breathing in <laughs> yeah, garbage. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like movie magic yeah <laughs> oh, man, how did they do oh, that effect gosh. Oh, and then one, yeah, there was one gag where they're in a, they're doing like a rickshaw race. It's like a rickshaw race for charity. And Jean-Claude Van Damme's like up front running and Rob's in the, in the, you know, carriage, uh, you know, and they're during the race, they end up like chasing someone or something. So they end up going off the course and they're going through the streets and downstairs of Hong Kong and they burst through a fish market. And this gag that we wrote is they come bursting out of the fish market and Rob's got like a live eel in his hand. And then he's like, hmm. He starts whipping Jean-Claude Van Damme on the, on the <laughs> butt eel? with the eel. He's like, faster, faster, like that. So we're trying to do that shot, and they give him this eel, this live eel. And Rob's like, oh, it's hard to hold. It's slippery. And this PA is like, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And grabs the eel and goes over to the sidewalk and takes a nail and a hammer and starts hammering a nail through the eel's neck. Oh, my God. And the eel's just like, what the fuck? Oh like, oh like, I'll stay still. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought he said he was going to whack it. No, well, he wanted it. It seems like that would be like paradise. They put the, ne the nail through it so Rob could hold on to the nail. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then so he's, insane. he's whipping John Clavin's ass with an eel, a live eel with a nail through its neck. Oh, my God. And Rob's like, I don't think the ASPC is <laughs> yeah. on the shoot. Oh, shit. Uh, oh, allegedly. 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 Yeah. Get peated if we start broadca uh, boycotting this podcast. That would be really good. But I remember, uh, <laughs> also, the, another thing I remember is uh, that Batman Forever came out that summer. Uh -huh. And so, as part of the world. Was that the one with Jim Carrey? and? No, it was the next one. It had Alicia Silverstone. Oh, it was the second one. Chris O'Donnell. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was the one with yeah, yeah. Poison Ivy. I oh, think. right, with Uma. Yeah. But anyway, so. We got invited. Warner Brothers like was having this big screening in Hong Kong, where like George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, and Alicia Silverstone are gonna be in attendance, and uh, so we went to the screening. And it's like this big party, and then they came out on stage afterwards, uh, and you know waved and you know said hi to everybody. And Alicia Silverstone looked like she had just gotten off a of, like she looked like she like jet lag, like she was so out of it. Um, that was funny. Sorry, that's not. You should cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> she was very jet lagged. Yeah, that's my Alicia Silverstone <laughs> story. Do you have any other funny stories about JCVD? Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. He's such an iconic character. It's so funny. Like he was like, I mean, he was like his sort of as big as Arnold when we were kids. But yeah, he yeah. hasn't lasted. I guess that's probably why. I don't. I don't know if Arnold was. Yeah, Arnold definitely has some wild stories, but it seems like he always like had a very like he was very disciplined. Yeah, with everything he did. But he has some wild stories though. Talking about having like wild orgies like upstairs in the gym, they'd all be working out, and like some women would just come in and they'd all go upstairs and like have sex with the women and stuff, <laughs> like crazy orgies. It was some know. wild times. Yeah, I don't know about that. You think everything still is wild? Like everything is just as wild still in Hollywood, probably right. I don't know. I, I would assume so. Yeah. I mean, 
There's I mean, wherever I know there's, there's excess, it's going to just be going on, right? Wherever people have all that yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. I know there's like an animation. There, there's big like sex. <laughs> there's big sex parties. There's like private clubs that you have to be a member of. To, yeah. Like I've heard about. Um, yeah, there was a there was a um, there's a adult film star who has a Marceline tattoo on her thigh, uh-huh. and she, we we start following each other on Twitter because you know she's like I love Adventure Time, and I'm like I love porn, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she ended up. Uh, she was in San Francisco, but she ended up moving to LA, and so we we hung out. And she was like, "Can I ask you questions about animation?" And I was like, "Can I ask you questions about porn?" And yeah. So we were, you know, uh, it was a symbiotic relationship that way. <laughs> but um, yeah, when she started telling me about the reality of porn and like oh, behind the telling you the well, just like I was like, "Ooh, like you know, there's a there's a strain of gonorrhea that can't be treated by antibiotics called oh super gonorrhea." Oh my god! And dude. if you get fucked in the ass too much, you get a prolapsed anus where your ass comes out. And it's called rosebudding, and some directors want that to happen. And I'm just Ugh. yeah, and I was like, I don't want to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kill my yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, you know, yeah, but. I do still watch porn. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So like, what was it? Was there any time during this time? Were there any like challenges and setbacks during this time? You know, when you guys were starting out, or was it just like a kind of one thing leading to another? Did it feel like, oh man, we got this? Like, or did it feel like, geez, you know, or, or is this going to keep going? Well, I'll say like, th- after the. Doing the Weird Al video was was great because I really wanted to make music videos. That was like a big part of what I was hoping, you know, I grew, you know, all high school I was watching MTV and there were so many cool animated videos at that time. And I think I that's what I thought, like, oh, I want to make animated music videos. Yeah. I didn't really, that didn't turn into any other music videos, but it did create opportunities between what I was doing at E and I started to do on-air design graphics um, I started my own company and when, or I guess Bad Clams was like, we, yeah. that was like a joint venture. That was partially how we were making Dropping Out, I guess, the, or that was the plan. Like we were kind of like trying to figure out how to make Dropping Out. I was doing sort of on-air design jobs and doing smaller jobs. But I remember there was a point where, uh, you know, I was consistently getting uh, jobs through word of mouth mm-hmm. and I was consistently doing these jobs and I was making, you know, decent money, but there became a point where I sort of felt like it was drying up and I didn't know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time that Mike Mitchell was making herd. And mm-hmm. so I was helping Mike Mitchell make herd. So this is before Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. Right. It was and, like 96, 97. Yeah. And so I helped him and, and, and helped, you know, him with that short i did all the stop motion bits if you ever see the short kent's kent's the lead in it and the second lead is a alien muppet hand puppet mm-hmm. but there's like bits of stop motion and special effects that i was kind of doing like for free like when i look back at it, it was like it's kind of crazy that i was doing all this stuff to help him with his short and i remember there came a point where i was like i just want to do another short like yeah. i want to i want to do my own thing i'm helping my friend do his thing i'm doing all these jobs mm-hmm. and so it was sort of like a crisis moment and um, so I was kind of determined to do another short. And that's when I actually got offered a teaching job at CalArts, back at CalArts, to teach some stop motion. And so I took the teaching job with the plan that I'll, during the school year, I'm going to plan my short. And then in the summer, I would have faculty access to equipment and stuff. And so my plan was to make a short film in the summer. So I actually ended up doing that and ended up doing another short. And then that short was uh that became my next kind of calling card 
and the short was um it had no dialogue and it had it, so it also was a calling card both as a short film but as trying to get more music video work mm -hmm. and i was trying to use that as a way and then that ended up kind of getting my foot in the door for for feature stuff because the short was received so well mm -hmm. but um but yeah it was a real crisis moment before that and i was definitely trying to figure out like what am i going to do and how am i going to do it and like what you know and i was that and you, was right. and you and kim got pregnant yeah we 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 knew we were going to have a daughter and it, so i was starting to panic thinking about being a father and having to provide for like you know a larger you know it was it was definitely like a, a big transitional moment mm -hmm. that kind of forced me to like think bigger and i remember also thinking about well i guess a lot of my friends had gone off to work at studios and you know weren't kind of doing their own thing or some were doing kind of getting an opportunity to be a big part of something but it wasn't necessarily theirs you know mm -hmm. So I was kind of thinking, okay, I guess I can get a job, and but that all that kind of fed into and inspired the short. So yeah. more, more is really inspired by my transition of trying to figure out how to work for myself, right, and stay independent. Yeah. Or the challenges, like kind of cautionary tale of going to work for someone else. Yeah. And yeah, kind of. And all what fed was it that made you want to do your own thing? I think. It's funny, I'm thinking a lot about this now as a father, like my son is like 17 and I'm thinking a lot about him and my what was motivating me and I I think I just, I never felt like I was going to be a fit for like a 9 to 5 job yeah. and I always wanted to be able to, to define my own schedule and I wanted to be able to make, I wanted to be my own boss in yeah. some way yeah. and you know, and I think that's where I was kind of liking the idea of making films and making stuff because I could kind of pick, you know, and but it feels like that idea of like being in charge of my own destiny as opposed to having someone else be in charge of my destiny. Yeah. You know, I kind of wanted to find a way to do that. So I think that was like a main, main motivator, you know. Yeah. Um, like in our dad, who's not here at the podcast, but he's around the corner. Like he was a car salesman and he like ran car dealerships. And yeah. he had a very regimented life. And I remember sort of feeling like that wasn't a fit for me. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. But he was he was like amazingly supportive in anything that we wanted to do yeah you know what i mean he wasn't yeah. like you gotta go into the car business <laughs> right, right right but um which kind of fed it into sort of um kung fu panda a little bit kind of worked its way into kung fu panda a little bit that idea of like feeling obligated to be in the family business and i spent a couple summers working washing cars and like kind of felt like this isn't for me yeah but um uh but yeah i'm always look back and really grateful like well, I think we had really supportive parents and when Ken said he wanted to go to acting school are you there was a period of time where he wanted to go to clown college mm -hmm. that was like, <laughs> but he never he never batted an I'm eye Florida I want to go to the Ring, Ringling Brothers oh my god that's so funny that's so you I yeah. can totally see that you would be so crazy if you were a clown that would be insane dude You'd be I like, mean you basically guy, are you'd be like this you're... guy's too much yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you're like to chose that that's as like, your whole profession it's like you're juggling uh, yeah. like it's already so you're already such a clown anyway way like if that if you had actually pursued that i feel <laughs> like you'd be like oh this yeah. guy's i can't hang out with this guy he's fucking never <laughs> showing up in makeup and yeah. he has bowling pins everywhere and you oh, wrote you ran away nice. once on your bike yeah you said you were going to clown college oh yeah. you tried to run away from home yeah i think that was performance art though how old were you when that happened oh 16 yeah 
15, 16. That was performance. Yeah, and I was a little no, that, kid. It's because I read uh, Catcher in the Rye, and I wanted, oh to, I wanted to go to New York and, like, yeah. check into a hotel. And... Complain about shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember, God, I remember. Precariously complain about life. Because I got into a fight with Dad. Yeah. About something, and I was just like, "You should be happy. We're not on drugs. We're, we're we get, I, you know, markets A's. I get C's. We're doing good. Like, <laughs> That's average. That's average." <laughs> and then when I left to go to work at the Pancake House, I said, "Well, Dad, I go. This is goodbye. I, you won't be seeing me again. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm taking off." And he was like, "All right." And then I remember very supportive. I was at work and I'm supportive of you running away. Yeah, well, that's what you really want to do, son. I support it. Yeah, damn it. Uh, I was telling everybody at work, I'm running away. And this girl, uh, Lisa Frick from art class, was like, "That's awesome." She was kind of like punk rock. Yeah. She and she's like, you know, you can spend the night at my house, you know. And I was like, "Oh, okay." And I remember going out in her uh, station wagon, and she's like, "Go out in your station wagon." So when your you know dad comes, you're, you will t- will tell him you left. So I went out and I was sitting in the station wagon and I saw my dad pull into the pancake house to pick you up. Yeah, and he was waiting for a bit and looking in. He finally got up and walked in, and I saw them telling him, "Now he's not here." And he was like, "Oh!" And then he like kind of walked out to the car and he like looked around and he got in and like just sat there for a second and drove off. And I was just like, "What am I doing? Oh my <laughs> this God. is horrible!" And then I spent the night at Michelle Frick's house. And You're trying to teach him a lesson. Yeah, and then the next day I was like, I don't know what to do, and I like rode my bike to McDonald's and got breakfast, and I was like trying to looking at bus schedules to New York, and I'm like, what am I doing? And then I just I ended up going back to school at like one o'clock, and everyone had heard about it, like Lisa's letter, and everyone was just like, we heard you ran away. Then, <laughs> oh my god! And then uh, I was walking down to lacrosse practice, and what, the assistant principal said. Uh, Ken Osborne? And I was like, yeah. And he said, your dad called, wants you to wait at the field after lacrosse practice. He's going to pick you up. And I went, okay. <laughs> and what did your dad say when he picked you up? Yeah, he picked me up and, you know, we drove home in silence. So you're and... not going to slip out of my... Well, I don't even know if we talked yes. about it. He tied I... your leg to, uh, <laughs> to his wrist. He had a little rope. Yeah. He was just like, you can't do that, you know. Yeah. That's uh, funny, man. That's pretty cool-headed. I remember one yeah. time when I was like... I don't know how old that was. It was in Shootsbury, so I was probably like nine or something like that, or seven maybe. I forget. I was I was kind of young, and I remember I was mad, and I and I was like, I decided I was gonna run away, and I just did it in the most cartoonish way possible. I got a stick and I took <laughs> I took a carrot out of the fridge and you I tied it. Yeah, yeah, I tied it with a, with a handkerchief to the stick, and I started walking down our road, our Classic. dirt road in Shootsbury. And then I came to our, the boundary line, like you, yeah. you know, like boundaries, yeah. like I couldn't go past that, and I just like sat down and just like ate half the carrot, <laughs> and then I just like went home. Yeah. <laughs> Your first outing. Yeah. yeah. If well, I had just crossed that threshold, my life could have been totally different. If I had taken that step over the boundary. I remember there was a time at the Red House where you said you ran away and you yeah. just climbed out your window and sat on the yeah. on the roof, yeah. and nobody could find you. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of all you can do. It's your, it's going nuclear when you're a kid. Right. So yeah, I'm running away. Yeah. 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 yeah, once my little brother was, like, really young, he was, like, I feel like maybe even younger than Wolfie, and my mom was running. This is when we had moved to New Hampshire. My mom was running a daycare for a year, like, out of our house. And, like, it was this day that was, like, pouring rain. And it was like a downpour out there. And my little brother got mad about something, and he, he disappeared. And then my mom was like, where's Chris? Where's Chris? And one of the kids was like, he's, he was yelling and running away and out in the rain. And my mom was like, my mom like flipped out. She was like, oh my God. And so she's like, 
you know, I just started calling people and trying to figure out, like, this, you know, this is like all of a sudden a total crisis. And then it turns out that he was just hiding in the basement. But this kid had just, like, fabricated this story of him seeing Chris run around <laughs> in the pouring rain outside, you know? It was funny. Pretty cruel. I mean, you know, it's a horrible thing for parents to not know where their kids are. Oh, my are. God. No, so your like, heart stops where you're like, yeah. where's yeah. my kid? Like, and so to do, be a kid and, like, I'm going to put my parents through some a little, you know, yeah, make, yeah. make them understand. Like, uh. That was the thing about uh, Spike Jones's World of Wild Things are that fucking killed me watching it. Spoiler alert. But when he runs away <laughs> from home, he runs away from home and it feels like he's gone for weeks. Yeah. And I was so constantly, like, ill at the thought of what was going on with mom back home. Yeah. And it was one of those things like... Does it touch on that in the movie? I can't remember. Well, no, it's just this, it's this thing that for me permeated. It was like get it out of your mind. Yeah, and and then that's what makes the ending so powerful. Right. I love the ending of that movie and the beginning, but I think it was because I was having like a visceral reaction of like, I couldn't stop thinking about what must must she be going through with him disappeared. And you don't know if it's an hour or a week or two months, but it feels like... A long, 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 long time. Anyway, it's just, but yeah, luckily my kids have never run away. I'm, I'm all right. I know I'm bracing. Wolfie's already so like moody, and he gets yeah. like at the drop of a hat, he gets so furious. I'm yeah. like, oh man, he's gonna be such a. And he's been like that ever since he was a baby. When he was in, when he was a baby, like one years old, I remember he would do this thing called we called it hulking out. He would just like, like he would just <laughs> hold his breath and like flex his whole body and like. Like you just had so it's like it's so weird how and you've probably seen this with your kids yeah, yeah, how yeah. like and then Junie baby Juniper or toddler Juniper she's like she's like two and a half now and she's like just she has the highest morale she's like always in a great mood everything's always good and even before, you know but when Wolfie was that age he was just as moody it's so funny how your kids are like so distinct from the minute they're born it's yeah. like their personality is really there and I think what you do kind of activates and stuff but it's like. I don't know. It's just so funny how they're so, they really are wired a certain way. Well, last year, I remember he hid at one point. He was supposed to like take a nap and he hid. And yeah. you, you and Athena were just like in the woods going, Wolfie. Yeah. Well, you know, you like, gotta this, come out. you get madder and madder. Yeah. You're like, and then as, a, as a kid, you're like, oh man, yeah. I'm getting the reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but I'm yeah. not coming out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I'm Where keep... was he hiding? Is he just like spots? nearby, you know? He just runs and hides in some ferns. I think or... that time so he, he eventually predator. He snuck. Times. He snuck back. In, <laughs> He's good. He snuck back into the house. I think. Okay. Like he ended up, he, he, did he have mud? Like he's crawling around at the at the edge of the beaver pond. Yeah. So what out of the out of all the projects you have you guys have worked on, uh, what do you think is like your best work that you've ever done? Oh. You're like, man, this is the this is the best work I've done so far. Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, there's so many ways to look at it, yeah. so many different angles to yeah. judge it by. Yeah, and, like, just like your internal, yeah. like, man, this is like, wow, I can't believe I made this. This is my highest watermark to date. I guess I just feel like everything, you know, like I feel like I think of all the things that I, like what, I immediately start going like, well, I wish that was better because of this. Right, I wish right, that, right. Like I can't put that up there. Right. But, um, Do you think that's because you've worked mostly in really collaborative, such a collaborative medium that like you can never quite get it perfect because it's, it's, yeah. there's just so many other factors or? 
No, I think no. In fact, the the fact that it's collaborative also makes it hard to say, oh, this is my best work because it's right, such a collaboration. Right, 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 right. Rarely would I say the 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 faults of a project are because of the collaboration. Right, right. The merits of the project yeah, are from the collaboration. Always, it's yeah, more than the I'm. I beat myself <laughs> yeah, up yeah, the going like link. I <laughs> fucked up and like I'm so proud of the little prince. Yeah, but I still have sleepless nights about creative choices that I made. Really, that everybody rallied around right. because you know you have to believe in you know in order to do these things you have to believe in them in such a deep way to motivate everybody and yeah and but i still would have doubts about choices creative right. choices do you remember like any that. of those like it was there is there one that stands out in your mind that you're thinking of i mean i i do struggle with the fact that but i always kind of i still believe in what we were doing with that movie of course you know and i and i still believe in like the choices we made and you you know we had a finite amount of time and a finite amount of money and right. like you do the best you can yeah. and you try to learn as much as you can so that you know but so for me at the end of little prince the thing that i every time i get anxious about like the adaptation of it and choices that were made in order in honor to truly support the book and celebrate the book and the power of the book and and in some cases to make it a movie we had to do things that were outside of the boundaries of the book in a way and you know what i mean like yeah. the ideas of like the little girl story and what she goes through and how she sort of how we repurpose elements from the book in her imagination and in her nightmare and her experience and things like that like some people misinterpret that you know and sometimes people make judgments about it and I think like how do they misinterpret it? Well, people always the the harshest criticisms are like you know oh you you brought the little prince back to life, and you and he grew up and the little prince should never grow up. Right. And spoilers, but um, so and but I but I'm all, I in and, and you want the movie to speak for itself. Yeah. And we were trying to be ambiguous because the book is filled with ambiguities. You yeah. Know? So I think like for me. We wanted there to be some mystery and some ambiguity of whether or not what was happening was real or what, you know. But when people say, oh, you made her grow up, I'm like, I always I always get very literal and I try to point out and I try to, like, defend the movie and say, she's dreaming. It's a nightmare. And this is her worst nightmare is that he grew up yeah. and was unhappy. And, yeah. and I, you know, when I and I say, look, her, her stuffed animal is walking around. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't know that that's fantasy, you right, know what I mean? Right, like, right, I kind of, right. like, end up sort of getting angry about it in a way. Right. But it, but at the same time, I wanted to, to be fantastic in a way. Like, I wanted kids to not understand, to believe that it was all real and not understand necessarily and not think, like, literally about it, you know? So we were definitely trying to play a game where we were trying to be both magical and fantastical and literal and and getting that balance and the chemistry of that right yeah. was so hard. I think that's the hardest thing to do, yeah. you know, because people want to feel like they get something. People yeah. are very uncomfortable, I think, yeah. when they when it is like that, like with like the, with David Lynch movies or yeah. something like that, where you're like they feel like if they didn't literally, literally under yeah. linearly understand everything, that somehow it, no, I don't like that. Didn't it, I didn't yeah. get it? You but know, if by like, the end people are crying. Like yeah. I always said, no matter what people's feelings are throughout, and yeah. like, and I think there's a range, you know. But by the end, if people are crying and emotional, and people like ask, like, did the aviator die or did he not die? And again, I try to 
we try to be like, well, there's some pretty big clues there, but we also want you to have whatever you want. Right. You know? There isn't necessarily, you don't have to have a definitive one, yeah. one ending. So it's sort of, those are the things that keep me up at night, but I, I kind of feel like I wouldn't change it and I would say... So you think back to those and they make you, they make your stomach clinch up? Well, like you, st- you literally like, like kind of agonize about it? Yeah, it's wow. hard. It's wow. hard to not, and that one, only because the book is so part of the, the expectations, world yeah and 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 it's still a part of my life so yeah. i feel like i'm still confronted with the but but i have so many cases where people were appreciating it and loved all the risks we did, took and yeah. loved all the challenges and, and and so in that sense i would say the film is truly greater than the sum of its parts because of all the collaborators and because of all the people that came to try to help solve the riddle of, yeah. of turning it in you know so at the end of the day like Whatever, it's always going to be flawed. It's you're always going to leave it behind. Like I, the, there's a Martin Scorsese quote that I love, where he's like, you know, movies are never finished, you know, or you know, they're always ripped out of the hands of right, right, right. directors by somebody. And it's like it's kind of comforting to know that that's kind of the case for even Martin Scorsese, or yeah. you know. But yeah, it's definitely like. Do you think there's a better way to make movies than the way they're made now? With, like, just the pressures on and every minute counts. And, I mean, do you think that there's a better way oh, to like do it? like a slower... And... Yeah. No, I think you need the pressure. And okay. I think you need the, you know, like, even the structure that we had on, as painful as it was on Little Prince, like, it kind of... As an artist, I know I need boundaries. I know I need yeah. deadlines. Yeah. And I need, like, I really... Because for me, it's like, man, yeah. if I could have had two weeks to do this Batch of Adventure Time backgrounds rather than one week, yeah. you know, if I could have two weeks to do 15 backgrounds, like, they would be so much better. Yeah. You know, and I would like it yeah, more. Yeah, like, yeah. that would make it so much more fun for I me. I think there's definitely places where some wiggle room is necessary. Yeah. But there's definitely, to me, like, shit can't get done without... The, the walls coming, you know, closing right. in on you. Yeah. And, and there I is think... definitely something to be said, I think, for, you know, you being a little bit uncomfortable and that you feeling that heat a little yeah, bit yeah. and it kind of makes you step it up more. The heat I don't like and the heat that I don't think is productive for creatives is the heat that comes sometimes from the top down, especially in big budget animation, which is like, notes and stuff this like has to make a billion dollars. Right. And that kind of anxiety and that kind of pressure, I think, is is goes completely against the creative impulses that are necessary to do something good. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's sort of, it's a different challenge. Yeah. And, and so I think there are some cases where the atmosphere, the creative atmosphere gets poisoned by too much like fear at, that comes from outside the creative process that can, I think hurt. I think the best producers in animation are the ones that understand the creative process. They understand that the artists need you know, what what they need and how they need it, but they also, they can figure out how to sort of manage it in a way that doesn't disrupt the creative process. Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite project? Can Can tell us about yours. Oh, yeah. I think on Adventure Time, uh, the VHS tapes go in BMO's butt. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's like the buy water. Yeah, and it's canon. Is that a riff of the... Yeah, the butt bump. Butt bump? Yeah. It comes from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Because, hey, Bimo, can you play this? Yes, Finn. It goes in my butt. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have a problem with that? No. It seems like the, her saying that, or, or yeah. Bimo, is Bimo genderless? Yeah, gender fluid. Gender fluid. Yeah. But because uh, it's a device. 
they're sort of like, yeah. I guess because it's a yeah, it's a little Game Boy. Right. Um, I'm surprised. I thought I, you know, you write a joke like that, and you're like, well, that's not gonna. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that that like you could do it, but not say it. I think yeah. the saying, you know, it goes in my butt. They'll yeah. be like, they could do it, but not say it. Yeah. <laughs> And their reaction, Finn and Jake are like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they take it out and smell it. <laughs> um, yeah. That's funny. I, I'll never write anything as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> you need like a frame of that, like a, the, the, the equivalent of the cell yeah. on your wall from that moment. We were doing the, um, uh, the commentary. We were all in like Penn's bedroom. There's like 10 of us. And that came on, and I said, uh, you know, we're, everyone's like, oh, here it comes. And I was like, yeah. And then it was kind of quiet after that joke, and I went, write what you know. <laughs> and, and everyone, like, for ten, five minutes, people were just like, like, Mudo and uh, uh, Jesse Moynihan. Like, yeah. you, no one could, like, everyone was just, like, trying not to laugh. And, like, and people, people kept trying to talk, and then Penn was like, ah, fuck it. And he, like, stopped the thing. We had to, like, go back and, like. But Why he, wouldn't they laugh? You're not well, supposed he just to did, crack up? It was too much. Because he, he was like, we got to cut that. And so then everyone was like trying to... It was like no one had acknowledged it. Wow. Right. Wow. Right. wow. Um, right. People were talking around it. People were just kind of like shaking their heads. thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> funny. But then I think Penn, he isolated that clip and sent it to everybody. And oh, It's nice. really funny. Just, that's hilarious. Uh, and now, for you guys, like, what would you... If, if you could just work on, right now, you had unlimited funds to do any project that you would that you could do, what would it be? My, my lifelong passion is to do a stop-motion feature, you know, and to, to really do something... It's... It, An original one? Yeah, and, and just... I just feel like that's the technique I first fell in love with, like, and made my first short using primarily, and my second short, and, like... And... I've constantly been trying to figure out how to how to raise the money. It's not mm-hmm. cheap. Yeah, it's cheaper than CG, and and people don't realize that, oh. you know. But it just there's no there's no money making. Um, that's what that's what made chance, me so that's yeah. what made me so excited to, to you know that Wes Anderson is doing yeah. the Isle of Dogs like that. I'm like, damn, dude! I want, now I want Scorsese to do a I stop know. motion, and I want like well, to see everyone's vision of it, like like a Werner Herzog stop motion. Yeah, like, yeah. how incredible would that be? Like, I am well, so, Hugo was like, like that. Yeah. I felt like that was like a different type. Of, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That was him making a family film. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. also, you 3D and and using right like some of that was CG, right? Like some of those. Uh, in Hugo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it all three? All CGs? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we're saying a stop motion, like puppets. Right, right. Like a, like a real world, but like a stylized, yeah. animated puppet world. Like, like when I heard know. that he was making Fantastic Mr. Fox, I, I was like, I couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah. I love his movies. Such a cool move. I love stop motion. Yeah, yeah that was like my favorite book when I was a kid, and he's yeah. one of my favorite directors, and yeah. I was like, whoa. Like, that was a cool, I love that evolution from the Life yeah. Aquatic animation to yeah. that, and now this. I hope he keeps doing and it's it's like it's just such a perfect thing for him to do. Well, I kind of I've been making the joke that I guess I have to make a bunch of live action movies to get the chance to make stop motion. You right, know what I mean? Like, right. Because there's a, there's not that much. There's a lot of legacy. You know, Ardman is kind of doing it, and Leica is able to do it, and but it's it's 
there's a lot of really low budget indie stop motion that's happening. But anyway, I'm trying to. That's that's if I won the lottery, like had bazillions, I would right, build a studio right, and right. do that, and that that would be my dream. Yeah. Wow. So I'm hoping we'll get there at some point. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any inkling of what the world might be, or what the what the what the initial nut of the idea might be? Well, I've been co-writing this project with Dylan Haggerty, who's uh, in like we we wrote drafts of it way back when. It was actually a reaction to episode one. Mm. It was a it was a I had a visceral reaction to Metachlorians and to all the episode one like wounded me oh, Star deeply. Wars. Yeah, yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Star Wars episode one. And uh, uh, I mean, I don't put yes, I don't say it's a Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, episode one, but this um, so Jar Jar episode one. That was the dream. Was that this that would be? I love the idea of doing a science fiction movie, yeah, a futuristic movie and using an old-fashioned technique uh-huh. so that's the that's the project i always go back to uh-huh. and it's actually it's kind of based a little bit on more or some ideas from the more my short film more's universe and some stuff like that but mm-hmm. i would say that's kind of the dream is to figure out how to do that i actually had producers when more got you know popular and things started happening because of more i had you know hollywood producers asking me to turn more into a feature mm-hmm. and i always said no i kind of wished i had played the game a little bit and said yes and gone down that road and, and but to me it felt like it felt like retreading something didn't seem like the right thing to do mm. but now when i i realized that this feature would end up sort of in some ways being an expansion on more so mm-hmm, i could mm-hmm. i could have been a little more open minded about it but but that was also at the time I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get pigeonholed in animation. I want to do live action. So what's stopping you from pitching it off of that and saying, hey, I've always wanted to expand on this? And Just that window closed a little bit. You don't think you could open it again now? Because mm. you've done so much more projects and Not proven yet. yourself Maybe more, right? soon. I mean, yeah. if I had a great script, maybe. But, yeah. you know, we'll see. It's so funny you think from making, you know, these, you know, little prints and Kung Fu Panda that you'd, you know, that'd be, you know, I think so many people think, oh, he could do whatever he wants now, you know? Well, I heard Henry Selleck was doing his new stop motion thing with Netflix. Uh The minute I heard that, I I went directly to Netflix and, you know, started talking to them about projects and and I was talking to them about another project in particular that's that I want to do in stop motion. And they were like, We've got too much stop motion right now. Oh, like, it's like they were like, blowing up. Bring us some other yeah, stuff. And, yeah, yeah. And, but I'm kind of trying to get my foot in the door there, uh, hoping that, you know, maybe there's a... If some of that goes and is, yeah. does well, that they'll be, yeah, yeah you get the next wave. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I really, if I had the money and the time, I would, I want to make a really good uh, meme. <laughs> that would be really cool. Really well crafted. Yeah. Because that's what you need, time and money. Yeah. And I'd want, I mean, I'd want. Is that your secret dream to just make yeah. memes? Do you make, goes, have you ever made memes? I've tried. Yeah. yeah. I, I just wanted to go viral. Yeah. Stanley the. Woodchuck. Stanley the Woodchuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I yeah, it's hard. I mean, the older I get, the less uh, motivated I feel to do anything. Really. And yeah, and I feel like as long as I'm like. I don't know. I kept thinking, oh, when I get to Vermont, I'm going to like work on my own stuff. So now I'm here and I'm like, okay, what am I working on? Yeah. And I, I think I want to do like a graphic novel. Right. Cause I really like drawing yeah. and I like, I like writing in that, uh, format. Uh, like I like writing comics. I did a comic, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. I made like a autobiographical comic, um, 
all about me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's great. Thanks. It's fucking great. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I'd like to do that. Uh, But yeah, I just... I don't know. It's especially if I'm working. If I get done with work, I just kind of I'm like, oh, I'm I'm gonna make a snack and watch Netflix. Like I really, right. I'm hoping some of your, uh, I'm hoping you you little something rubs off on me. Wild erratic energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all like, that. Your, your, all your, that get up and go. Your motivational, your evangelical, art, art <laughs> evangelical uh, yeah. movement. Uh, I was describing you. I said you're like a you're an art evangelist. You're like an evangelist <laughs> for doing your own thing and and getting behind your own yeah. dreams. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I know. We should handle more snakes. That should be kind of <laughs> part of it. <laughs> do they handle snake. the snakes? Is that the, do they do that? <laughs> yeah, they, the like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They heal you. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. More art healing and uh, <laughs> tent revivalism. Yeah. Build a big wooden tent. <laughs> a tent out of logs, a log tent. <laughs> oh, man. Do any other, when we talked about doing Osgro's podcast, was there any other stories about being brothers and anything mm. that, that popped in your mind that would be good content Osbros. for the pod? Thanks, by the way, for Osbro's. Right, the Osbro's. Yeah, you feel we, like you guys need some leather jackets now. Never like had biker that. jackets. Yeah. Like, uh,. Osbros. Do you guys have any embarrassing stories about each other or <laughs> times you saw uh, each other most scared or like any juicy? I was trying to think of spooky, spooky stories. And I well, was you telling... were there for his spooky story, right? Theoretically, when he, when his, his girlfriend was, uh, oh, was girl having the, the night hair. terror. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And he was possibly talking about, she was possibly connecting Riley in the story. Oh, no, and all. But you, yeah, but Maddie. you didn't know it about it or yeah. Matt, you didn't know any, any of that though. But at the time, Kim was, my wife was completely convinced that that house was haunted right so all the pieces were like fitting together yeah i think she left the next day and then i took you guys were like were there any night and i was like uh and i took and you were both like i didn't want to hear that yeah. <laughs> oh that is really spooky dude yeah <laughs> oh especially no, as a parent you're like Oof. but i was talking about the blob and being terrified by the blob right. and i feel like yeah. that was definitely like that yeah, was we would go to this thing. thing in summer we'd go they'd drop us off at the at the school and they had a thing called playground and I where... told this whole story oh you did yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I haven't yeah, heard yeah, it yet yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying like the aftermath of like sleeping in the hallway and leaving the hall lights on yeah, yeah. and then uh, Ken had a long hallway going back to his bedroom and I remember that the meanest thing I would do was yeah. he would leave the hall light on and I would turn it off but I, I could turn the switch halfway yeah. and then his switch wouldn't work <laughs> I figured out how to like, oh, yeah. oh it would like short it. Yeah. To turn it on. so he'd have to go down the dark hallway <laughs> to turn it back yeah. that oh was, man that's that was good mean. I'm and sorry we used to we used to hide we'd go up the stairs and one of us would hide yeah. on, on the wall behind I was gonna us say did scared. you guys ever have yeah. like a yeah. yeah I love scary we are always trying people. to scare each other yeah once I I went into my closet my, I had a closet, and then they, there are these doors that go into the into the rafters of like the, the eaves, the eaves yeah, of the like house, storage, yeah. and and yeah. So I went in there, and I I wrote on the wall. I wrote, uh, I drew a pirate ship, and I wrote, Ken Osborne, you are going to die. A pirate ship. Yeah, and then I like put a box in front of it, and then I went to my Mark's room and said, Oh man. I'm really scared. You got to come look at this. And I, and I like, and he's like, what? And I brought, like, I just found this. And I moved the box out of the way and shined a flashlight on it. And you're just like, nice try. Like, you knew, like it was like my, hand, it was my handwriting. Oh, and I, I thought that's how I'd scare you is that I was going to die. <laughs> it's all about me. Yeah. What will you do when I'm yeah. dead? I have a, one of my earliest art memories is Kent giving me an art class. 
and and I remember you. We, I had a desk, and you came in, and you were, and you sat You're me like, down. Draw me naked. No, but he sat down and showed me how to draw a skull, and you taught me how to draw a skull, and it was like almost like an eight, and I'll never forget. And it was like, it was so sweet. Like you were teaching me. You were like giving me an art class. I don't know. It was like, a, like um, you remember that. Oh, so you're saying all of your success. Yeah. <laughs> my artistic, wow. I owe to you. My very first art teacher. You're welcome. Well, I remember I, I love scaring people. And uh, one one time I did this thing where my girlfriend in uh, college that I went out with for most of college was super afraid of ticks. Mm. And then back, I was I must have been home on break. And one of my best buddies, Grant Zazula, Tin Can Zazula, shout out. His 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 parents were vets, and they had like this. It was like a they had taken it was like an old pill bottle, and it was filled with some kind of gel. And they put ticks in there when they like pull them off of wow. dogs and shit. So there was like some like real fucking like the biggest ticks I've ever seen. So yeah, like, juicy, great. and they're like suspended in time. Yeah, right. And they're they're dead, but like they look alive. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna bring these back to school with me. So I brought them back after break, dude. It was like very elaborate, and 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 I went and like one day when she wasn't in her dorm room, I went in. I got in somehow. And I glued them in a trail above her bed. <laughs> she came back in and she came back in. It was like a parade of these like bloated ticks. And I wasn't there when it happened. But she was so mad at me about that. So it must have really fucking spooked her out. She was like, her heart must have stopped because she was so fucking mad at me for a long time about that. I was like, how can you get mad? It's like so funny. <laughs> That's one of my best ranks ever. I remember, okay, I remember once, so in the winter we had a wood stove, yeah. and my, my bedroom was at the end of this hall, and so in the winter I would sleep in my brother's room. And oh, we because would... the chimney went through the walls past my room, like and so my room would room. warm yeah, up, yeah, but yeah. we could just, wouldn't. well, we could close the door and, like, seal it, like, the, the I thought it was the heat, if we closed my door, then the heat wouldn't get to that part of the house. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. it's like, it was a way of, like, oh, to kiss, yeah. kiss. But, 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 but the chimney was going right past... Okay. My bed in the walls. Like, that's what they told me. Regardless, why. I was sleeping in your room. <laughs> it's his story, Mark. I remember the winter. Sorry, sorry. And, I was, and, and one night we were like, good night, good night. And it was dark. And we were lying there. Oh, shit. And then, like, yeah, 10 minutes went by. And I went, Mark. And, like, I just whispered his name, yeah. you know? And then he went, what? And then I went, what? And he was like, what, did, what do you want? You just said my name. And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> And then it was like kind of quiet for a bit, and then I just heard. Oh my god! <laughs> and he was like, he was like, I'm so scared right now. I swear to God, someone just whispered my name, oh and it wasn't god. you. And then I was like, oh shit! This is my... <laughs> like you were really, you remember that? Yeah. I I can't. I don't know if I remember to remember you telling the story, but yeah. it's definitely. I felt terrible. Did but you I, tell him that I was you like, did it? I was no, I was like, no, man, don't worry, no one's nothing's gonna happen to you. I'm right here. Oh, you did admit no. it? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm right oh here. <laughs> oh oh man, damn, dude. And then I don't know. This is another memory. I feel like I t- might have told this story. Maybe you know this story, but you were. Um, I was the younger brother, so I was always like, I was the tag along, and you had a friend over, and I would always want to hang out with you, and there were times where, you know, I think there, there were times in our lives where we're friends with each other's friends, but this was earlier on, I was littler, and I can't remember who was over, 
It was, it was, the snow was probably up to here. You guys were going up into the woods. Deep snow. Yeah, and, and I wanted to come with you, and I, but I had to go to the bathroom, and you guys weren't going to wait. So I put, put on my snowsuit, and I was chasing after you guys, and I, like you guys were, tracks. like, way up, and you were, like, going into the woods, and I was trying to catch up, and I remember the snow was so deep, so I couldn't go slow, and I had to go to the bathroom, and I fucking shit in my snowsuit. Oh, and my was God. just bawling oh, and bawling. And I, you didn't know. I mean, you were just going to have fun. You weren't trying to be mean, but Mom, Mom had to bring me in the house, <laughs> oh and I was bawling, and I'll never forget she ran the bath. Oh, And she man. had to, like, clean the shit out of the oh, suit, and oh. I was just so upset. That was, like, little kid, little... Uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of takes away from the art story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's the more powerful, the art stories. Sure. Wow, that's hilarious. So you're saying though. shitting your pants is the reason why you're so successful. Because <laughs> <laughs> then he had to prove himself that he yeah. could keep yeah. up with you and not shit his pants. <laughs> Who's shitting their pants now, Ken? <laughs> I do, when we were kids... Uh, my grandparents would say, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And Mark would say, I'm going to be I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be a famous actor and I'm going to be worth billions. <laughs> uh, and they're like, wow. They're like, what about your brother? And Mark would go, mm, such a shame. He's going to be an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? And he's going to live in Sunnyvale, California, and he's going to be a garbage man. And they'd go, well, you're so rich. Aren't you going to help your brother? And he's like, mm, I'm going to send him a million dollars a year, but he's going to send, he's going to spend it all on booze. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, do you remember saying this? Okay, was yeah. it a joke or was it like, did, were you, this know. was like, this was, was getting the reaction. It was like it a was diss. Funny. Yeah. Was it a diss? Like, yeah, it was, yeah, I was getting the reaction. Though. It was yeah. just funny. Yeah. 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 But well, I think we that's why. We were very competitive with that, with that set of grandparents, yeah. with my dad's grandparents. Yeah. But we just found out our grandmother was smoking weed. Oh, we that's just found funny. Out. That's yeah. hilarious. Back in the day. Um, that's funny. Did your parents smoke weed when you guys were growing up? No. No, I don't think. Well, not, not, not that I know. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. in the later years. Yeah. In the disco years. Yeah. yeah. Our yeah. mom was, was man managing going. a restaurant bar that on weekends, would they would they had a garage door in the ceiling, and they would open it up and clear out the tables, and lights would be up there. And they'd, it was the only, like, you know, place, it was the only, like, social thing to do at night in this yeah. it was, small town. It was Vermont's closest thing to Studio 54. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to recreate. Uh, but yeah, so there might have been some But then you find you found like a use. you found like a bullet. Yeah, I found like a little coke bullet. thing I never quite knew what it was. What's it a turns coke out, bullet? It's like a little grinder and you grind the coke and then you can oh. stick it in your nose and it, oh. it's like a little yeah. I like a chapstick bottle like no, it's, it's like, like a little tiny egg almost. Okay. Then you, oh, you put a rock in the bottom. Made, oh, it, dang, like, dude. made out of plex. So I've been yeah. told. No. Yeah. no, I think it was like, I don't know what the hell. And you would grind it up. I was like, what is it? I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And then I figured out, oh. But she that's denies funny. that. She yeah, denies yeah. that. Anyway. You know, it was the 70s. Yeah. Early 80s. Yeah. It's a different time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got an hour and a half in the book. Holy so, shit. Yeah. We're going to yeah. go to Essex Junction and buy a doorknob. <laughs> All right. And some wood. We're going to get... So if anybody wants to meet them over at Essex. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be there. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah. No, this was great. I knew if I got you guys going, I'd just sit back and just try to hold in my pee. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did good. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we'll say goodbye. To the audience, goodbye, audience. Thank you for listening. Yeah, Yay. this is for you. Yeah, we love you guys. 
sorry if Jean Claude Van Damme's listening. JCVD, <laughs> text me. Uh, <laughs> alleged, alleged. At me. Share this podcast. Woo! Now that's what I call a podcast with a couple of very accomplished brothers. Um, <laughs> oh man, I really can't get enough of these guys. I love uh, both Kent and Mark. Um, and, uh, and, and seeing them together is so funny. Um, I love hanging out with brothers. There's something about that family connection that is just so cool. Um, when, when family members are also really good friends, I love it. You know what I'm saying? So big shout out to the Osbros for jumping up on this podcast, really becoming regulars on the pod. I think now that's like Kent's fourth appearance. I think he is the most, uh, most, uh, appearing guest, most frequently appearing guest on the Ghost Shrimp and Friends podcast. So shout out to Kent Osborne for, uh, really just coming in and bringing the heat. You know, he's got unlimited amounts of stories. He's had so many crazy Hollywood experiences, really has that classic Hollywood, uh, story of going to Hollywood, trying to make it, having a script, you know, driving a limo, you know, giving out scripts to people, all that stuff. It's so classic. I, I really love it. And the fact that he actually like broke through and made it from, from there is, uh, is so cool. But I love just hearing them talk about their initiative on this, um, how much they just created uh, their own opportunities for themselves and took advantage of opportunities that came their way and were ready to do that. And um, just really went after it and really manifested the destinies that they wanted to create. I think that's such a powerful narrative and uh, should really give a lot of hope to everybody out there that wants to do similar things with their life that is ambitious with their goals and dreams. You know what I'm saying? That's really the point of this podcast, you know, is to uh, share my friendships, you know, to just keep keep on enjoying my friendships, to celebrate my friendships with all these creative people in my life. But also really to, to bring all of the listeners into that. You know, you are also the friends in the Go Shrimp and Friends podcast. And I just want to give a major, major, major shout out. We're 42 episodes deep. This podcast is so much fun for me to do every week. It's becoming very natural now to do. Um, it's so comfortable. Um, and uh, I know, you know, really people really love it. I get so much feedback saying that that how, how much this podcast means to people. And that that's so cool cool to me. That's so special to me. Um, you know, and, uh, so big shout out to everybody who subscribes to this podcast, everybody who goes to iTunes and gives five-star reviews so we can, you know, just continue to, to snowball and get more listeners and everybody subscribe to the SoundCloud. Um, and, uh, everybody on the Patreon, getting that early access, getting those beef stew shout outs, getting those marinated steak tip shout outs, following the behind the foreskin mini-sodes as they come out in real time on the Patreon, um, and then uh, everybody on the YouTube um, uh, watching and sharing and supporting the the uh, full uh, behind the foreskin episodes, the full 25-minute episodes. It's really fun. I really like developing this into a show. Um, I want to continue to uh, just do this and, and just really bring, you know, share my world with everybody. You know, I think that there's so much fun stuff going on um, for me in my life, and this this just gives me more and more ideas and more stuff, and and I've such a fun I've had such a fun time really documenting this, shooting a lot more footage. Um, it's been really fun to uh, to really I always wanted to document like scout camp more and all the scout stuff that's been going on, and 
and now it's really happening. You know, we did that hour-long documentation of the Ghost Scout Summit. There's an hour of footage up there between uh, behind behind the foreskin episode three and behind the foreskin episode four. There's just an hour of comprehensive coverage of just all the wacky stuff that we do up here, and I think it's so much fun that we're up to this stuff. We're all friends having fun doing it, and that we're sharing it with people so that they can get inspired. Um, they can get involved if they want, or they can just do their own shit, you know, take this and run with it, make your own, uh, camps and, and do your own fucking imaginative, wacky, crazy stuff with your friends, like get together with your friends. Like the Ghost Scouts really just started as me and my friends doing fun stuff together, you know, and it's grown into something so much bigger than that. So you never know just a little joke between you and your friends. That's genuine and fun and pure and, and, and just comes from that, like just sharing friendship can just turn into so much more. It's turned into the Ghost Scouts. Now it's turned into the workshop. Um, now it's turned into this podcast. And now it's turning into the behind the foreskin full episodes. It's like it just keeps going, you know? One thing leads to another. And uh, But, you know, you as the audience are really participants in that. So I want to give a big, big, big shout out to everybody who's a fan of the pod, who supports the Patreon. Um, who who supports the the behind the foreskin full episodes on YouTube? You know we're going to be putting up more and more of those. Um, we're putting them up every month. We're putting up more regularly. Um, and uh, definitely new mini sods going up this week. I have several ready to go. Um, so uh, yeah, big 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 shout out to everybody out there. And um, hopefully, really using this podcast and the and the episodes and everything to really just you know let you know that living your dream is very possible. You know, like I'm an absolute fuck up. I could barely make it through high school, had no interest in having a regular job, you know, and just really realized at a certain point that if I was going to have a good life and I was going to have be happy and have fun, it was going to be, I was going to have to do it from scratch. I was going to have to take control of my own destiny, create my own reality and live in it, you know, and that's really, um, you know, what I've been able to do. So I hope this really emboldens everybody and just really illustrates the point. I think over and over again on this podcast with the guests, and with myself that, you know, if you have an idea of the, 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 the first thing is just to get that idea, just to get that vision, you know, sit down and think about, man, what would be the coolest shit I could do and really pursue that? Because if you do, there's a really good chance that you can make it happen. And it might not happen exactly when you want it to. It might not happen just exactly how you want it to. It's not like you can perfectly script it out. But you can keep planning. You can keep testing your destiny. You know the you can you can come up against those failures and those successes and realize that they're just the same thing. It's just information on where to go next. You know you don't always know exactly what's going to happen. But if you know that you love something and you really want to keep doing it and you want to keep pushing for it, doing that will make something happen. And then and then if you keep pushing, then another thing will happen and another thing will happen. And it's very possible. Do not buy into this mainstream hype that you cannot achieve your goals if other people aren't doing that. You know, there's really no roadmap for this stuff. You know, I didn't know, I didn't, there was no blueprint for Ghost Scouts. I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought, man, what if I thought up my best summer camp? What if I thought up the coolest summer camp that I could do and make it happen as an adult, you know? And now, in a matter of three weeks, there's going to be nine new cadets here, and all the counselors are going to be back, and we're going to have guests, and we're going to have so much freaking fun, just getting super pumped, super motivated in the woods here. Definitely be fully documenting that. Definitely be multiple, multiple episodes of Behind the Foreskin, tons of mini-sodes in real time on that. 
All right, so let's wrap this shit up before old this old goat starts chewing on this old tin can for another two hours, chewing your ear off, chewing on your old tin can ear. Um, let's see. So, as usual, follow those fucking goals. It's more achievable than ever before with all the opportunities there are today on the internet and to get yourself out there, get your shit out there. Um, and, uh, you know, as always the, you know, it seems like each week the world gets more and more divided. Um, you know, there's definitely that reality going on out there. I think it's really being pushed by the mainstream media. They're really trying to create enemies out of everybody. And, uh, you know, as we always say on this podcast, you know, you have more in common with every single human on this planet than you have in conflict with them. So really, even though it seems impossible, even though it seems uh, like there's no way through some of these tragic, tragic times, um, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the way forward is seeking that common ground, is, is, is eliminating the, the idea of just that these people are your enemies, you know? We all have the same goals. We all want our children to be safe. We all want to be with our families, okay? We all want to uh, have an equality of opportunity and to pursue our goals and passions in life and to have a great community around us and to feel safe, and respected and appreciated, you know, um, that's the world that we want to live in. That's the mission of this podcast is to really spread the idea of friendship across across the globe, across this hollow flat earth, you know, so don't believe this fucking hype, you know, let's all work together to really create a world where everybody has an equality of opportunity and everyone respects each other. You don't have to speak the same language as them. You don't have to have the same religion as them. You don't have to be from the same country as them. We're all on the same team. We all have the same goals. There is a way to work this out. There are enough resources on this planet if they're equally allocated, if they're, if they're fairly allocated, you know, there is a way to do this. We don't have to fight each other, okay? Think about who benefits from that. It's not them and it's not us, you know? It's the people that are in control, that are cashing in on this. It's the people that run the prisons, okay? It's the people that that are at the top of this political heap. It's the people that run the corporate, the, the, the largest corporations in the world, Um you know, all the great media empires, you know, it's, these are the people that are benefiting from this, not the, not the people fighting. Okay. Not the people fighting each other. We're all suffering from this. So don't believe the hype. Don't buy into it. You know, try to really connect with each other. Look for that common ground, not for that conflict. You know, it's more important than ever. You know, and and of course, we we strive to create these communities across the world, and we're doing it on the Patreon page. Join this Patreon page, you know, and uh, big shout out to everyone supporting. Big shout out to all the one dollar members of this creative community on Patreon that we got going. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. We're trying to get a hundred uh, Patreon patrons by the end of the year. We're halfway there. I think we can do it. You know, um, we've got half of the year left. We're halfway there. Can we reach a hundred? You know, support at that one dollar level. If you listen to this podcast every week, if you appreciate it, if you love the guests, you love the recurring, reoccurring personalities on here. Come through. Throw down a buck per episode. Uh, enjoy your early access. Throw down two dollars per episode. Get a beef stew shout out. 
Um, and support at the $5 or more episode. Enjoy those bonuses, plus a marinated steak tip shout-out on the full Behind the Foreskin episodes on YouTube. Um, we're going to be ramping up those episodes. They're going to be coming out every month, probably a couple every month with the rate that we're shooting and all the stuff going on right now. This is the hot time of the year, y'all. Um, but uh, we've got some uh, we've got some new members here. Um, supporting at the five dollar level, we've got my girl from the online workshop, Sarah Ball. Big shout outs! Now these are the people that supported last episode of the podcast, right? Um, I know that Dalton Stark. Uh, join the Patreon this year, so shout out again. Um, I think uh, the girl Erica from the Norway Brewing Company, I think she upped hers to, to the $5 level to get that marinated steak tip shout out. So if anybody wants to upgrade to that marinated steak tip shout out, follow the follow the, uh, the, the example of Erica Melhus. She upgraded from the $2 level to the $5 level, but She's still at the $2 level supporting the this last episode of the podcast. So she's on this list here. Um, so we got at the $3 level, shout out to Zeta. Get yourself a bowl of beef stew. Zeta just signed up for the 12-week online group workshop. Very smart move. Uh, we've got my boy Raphael Tanghall coming in at the $3 per podcast level. Um, uh, kicking off the $2 tier, we've got Daniel Foothead, aka Ghost Scout Sports Magic out there in New Zealand. Great animator. Check him out. Dr. D Foothead. Uncle Terry. Shout out to you, my friend. Get yourself some beef stew. The original artwork is in the mail. It's coming to you. Uh, big shout out to uh, the, the guest of this podcast, Mark Osborne, coming in with that $2 support. Get yourself some beef stew, my friend. Uh, the reigning defending camp champion, John Mansfield, a.k.a. Ghost Scout Beard Lips. Get yourself some vegan beef stew and share it with... Lermy, aka Ghost Scout Computer Person, two of our powerful vegans. We respect the vegans here. We love our beef stew, but we happily have beef stew alternatives for those who love that vegan food. Uh, another workshop alumni in the alumni group, Johnny Glines. Big shout out. We don't just send you off on your own into that big old internet world when you're done with the workshop, you'd come and join the alumni group where everybody who's gone through the workshop is in there and forming a more and more powerful creative community. It's so cool. We're really, we live this shit, y'all. This is not, you know, it's all about that mutual beneficiary shit. It's like, I'm not just trying to make a workshop to make money, like we said, right? It's like, I do need to make money, so I create this workshop, but I think of all the ways that we can really make it beneficial and create better lives for people and do this thing where we are really 
having an impact, even if it's a small one, sending out those creative ripples out into the universe. You know, I think that I'm better off in this life if, if more and more people are achieving their goals, living their dreams, and they're living as happily as I am. That's what I'm trying to create. So yes, I'm making money off this workshop, but also yes, there's a lot of more to it than that. You know, that's what sets this workshop apart from other workshops. You know, the level of true... Uh, personal, the real personal nature of it, you know, those one-on-one -on -one vid chats every week with me, um, the, the monthly party chats with the whole group together having fun celebrating, another accomplishment, another month down to the workshop, you know, another four weeks of accomplishments, putting away another uh, section. And, uh, and then really carrying it out. You know, I'm in that alumni group. The homie Bark the Dog is in that alumni group, you know, in there giving feedback, making jokes, hanging out. You know, that's what it's all about. You know, really carrying this out into our lives. This is more than just business. This is also friendships, right? We mix business with pleasure. And it's a pleasure. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you don't mix business with pleasure, then, uh, you know, it's just business and that's no fun. I don't like business. You know what? I don't like business. Uh, all right. My man over in Denmark, Truman Hunt, uh, shout out to you, my friend with the strength of three men on the hunt. <coughs> oh my God. I got to sip this soul coffee. A big shout out to another workshop alumni, Alexi Giroux, and he's going to be a cadet starting July 13th at Ghost Scout Training Camp. Big shout out to Arguably Art. Uh, there she is, my girl Erica Malhus from the Norway Brewing Company. Supporting at the $2 level for this last episode of the podcast. But starting next week, she's at the $5 level. And she'll be getting shout-outs on the Behind the Foreskin full episodes on YouTube. Uh, big shout-out to the other guests on this podcast. Kent Osborne, who's going to be a... a um, uh, what do we call it? A counselor at camp this year. His first year as a counselor. Very exciting. Uh, big shout out to Anthony Scott, your favorite stop motion animator and mine. Friend of Mark Osborne, colleague of Mark Osborne. And uh, there's a chance we might get them both to come to Ghost Scout training camp at the same time this year. We're, we're talking about that. Um, that'd be a very powerful combination as some visiting artist guests. Um, if not this year, definitely in the future, but, uh, let's see if we can make it happen. Does Ghostiny, does Ghostiny approve? We will find out. What does Ghostiny have in store with us this year? There's only one way to find out. Uh, big shout out to Michael Garcia. Oh, we can't forget Waste Zoid. Get yourself some beef stew, my friend. Another workshop alumni coming to camp this year. Big shout out to Chris Murray. Get yourself some beef stew. Michael Broncado. Much respect. Uh, big shout out to Jesse Premu. Get yourself some beef stew. Uh, big shout out to Steve Winfield Meyer. 
Big shout out to Gerard Jones. Uh, big shout out to Spook Novel. <laughs> that one again. Big shout out to Spook Novel. <laughs> That's such a weird one to enunciate as a shout out. Big shout out to Khalil Fry. Uh, big shout out to Jesse Kukaka Big shout out to another workshop alumni, Alejandro Fuentes. And last but not least, big shout out to Alec Wright. So big shout out to everybody who supported episode 41. And uh, if you didn't hear your name, it means that you did not support that episode. So if you want to hear your name shouted out on every episode, make sure on the Patreon settings you are set to support every episode. All right. So, uh, <coughs> oh my God, I'm blowing it out, blowing out the old goat pipes here, the old meat pipes, blowing out this old tube steak. Um, so, uh, be productive, be positive this week, go out there and, uh, you know, get a little bit closer to that dream life, to that life that interests you the most, Feel the passion and personal, you know, the shit that the shit that is most personal to you. Nostalgia, nostalgia is so powerful in my life. I've really circled back around and uh, and found myself right where I began. You know, just building forts and drawing in the woods like I did when I was a kid. I fucking love it. Living in an agricultural community, um, being an active member in the community. Um, I really, really love it. It's so funny. Everybody in town knows about Go Scouts, and uh, and and they look forward to seeing the Scouts come through every year. They ask me about it. They're when when's that camp year starting up? When are those Scouts coming to town? So everybody, you know, this is a funny, uh, just a rural town. It's you know, just a just just a pretty pretty quiet little town. And then people from all over the globe come on down, and they're down in there and doing their laundry in town and checking their emails in town and uh and and being being very respectful members of the community while they're with us that's one of our that's one of the cadet codes of conduct to be uh to be a good citizen when you're in town you know what i'm saying so uh until next week just keep it positive and productive y'all you know follow those dreams and inspire others to do the same all right peace